Hello and welcome back to Multimodal. I'm your host, Backstreet Future. This is a podcast about GPT-3, multimodal AI models like Dolly 2 or Midjourney, the company OpenAI. In this podcast, I may talk about new OpenAI research and products, different community initiatives that are going on. I may talk about my own research, my own products. And in this podcast, I definitely try to make sense of what's going on. I try to look at the world from the perspective of a large language model developer or perhaps a multimodal artist. And every once in a while, I'll throw out their guests, extrapolate on what all of this could mean for the future. This is definitely not a podcast about today. This is a podcast about tomorrow. Uh, I want to thank you for tuning in. This is a very, very special year-end edition of Multimodal. Uh, joining us today, the the returning champ, repeat offender, David <laughs> Shapiro is here. Uh, David was an absolute smash hit. Uh, people tell me all the time, David, the podcast with David earlier this year, uh, there was so many lessons learned. David's so interesting. He's got so many interesting projects. I think he's dropped four books or something <laughs> since I last spoke to him. <laughs> Three books. And uh, he's he's just been hustling. Oh, and I, I, he's also got a YouTube channel. And he started a Discord community. And he's got, I believe, he got a Patreon too now, right, David? Yeah, oh, yeah. He's a, All of the above. He's been just, you know, you're just seeing the beginning of uh, how much how much David Shapiro is is, like, capable and what he's up to. And just, like, he's... The, the rocket ship is is like launched. It's left. It's left. Uh, uh, it's left Cape Canaveral. So, anyways, David, welcome back. <laughs> and uh, probably, uh, yeah, probably, uh, you know, uh, I've introduced mostly what uh, who you are. <laughs> I think the people yeah. should be quite familiar at this point. Uh, and uh, David has also been kind enough, so I sort of pitched to him, like, you know, come on the podcast again. Would love to have you back. I'm thinking to do a year end review. And then all of yesterday, I was out. So David was kind enough. Not only is he here and being generous with our with his time for all of us, uh, he's put together these slides, and we got the top ten most significant events, uh, mostly in the large language model multimodal AI space, as well as maybe just the world in general. And so in today's special podcast, uh, David has put together these top ten events. We're going to be going through them, uh, combing through them, talking through them in great detail. Uh, and hopefully this will provide some nice, easily, easy listening. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's Christmas time, holiday time. Everybody's uh, maybe with family, with friends. You might be driving somewhere. And so this is sort of, uh, we're in more of a reflective state at this point, right? Like we want to reflect. Everybody's sort of relaxed. Everybody's, uh, you know, in, in a good mood. And so this is just some, just going to be fun and, and, and very interesting. So, uh, I'm, I'm going to be running the slides. Uh, let's jump into it. So 2022, a year in review. I guess we could even pause. So the year AI went big. Let's talk about that a little bit. We're back. <laughs> I got the slides. <laughs> slides are working. It's all good. There we go. So it says 2022, a year in review. And the first caption is the year AI went big. So oh, yeah. David, did you, did you want to comment on that? What, 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 what do you mean here with the year AI went big? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we've had uh, 2021, we, we had a AlphaFold 2 came out and that made waves. And of course, um, with the pandemic, the, the uh, rise of mRNA vaccines, um, AI helped a little bit in a lot of these things. But this year we had stable diffusion, Dolly, we had chat GPT. Um, and then, you know, this all like it all started exploding in like August. Right. And it's only gone faster. And I think history will record 2022 as the year that like everything changed. This is we're, we're we're on the home stretch to the singularity now. Like, I don't, I don't care what anyone else says. Like, it's going faster. It's coming sooner than anyone thinks. So that's, that's what I meant by that. Yeah. I mean, I definitely just felt like so many more people in the fold, 
Like suddenly every creative, every designer knows what a prompt is, right? Like every, um, all these, you know, people and after chat GPT, even people outside of that very large group know about it too. Right. And, mm -hmm. uh, people, like, I, I'm sure you'll find the same thing. Like you don't have to explain anymore what a prompt is, right? You don't even have right. to, most of the time, I don't even have to tell people necessarily what open AI is. Right. Um, and just the awareness about things, which were very, uh, you know, as a small group of people, the awareness of those things, it's gone just so big. Everybody knows about these things. They're excited about these things. Everybody, we, we're going to talk about this, but it feels like everybody's got their eye on what's going on here now. Uh, so anyways, 2022, huge, huge year. And, you know, in, in some ways I expected it. In some other ways I did it, right? Like it's, it's just also exciting to see and participate in. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So... Starting with number seven, uh, the NVIDIA NEMO Megatron 530 billion parameters. Uh, so do you want to talk about this one, David? Yeah. So NVIDIA, for those not in the know, NVIDIA is one of the largest chip manufacturers in the world and the world leader in GPUs. So if you're a gamer, you know what NVIDIA is. Um, you know, I'm running an RTX, uh, what, 2070, 2080? I don't remember. It's one of the older ones. Um and uh, yeah, so they have been a world leader in uh, graphics for a long time. And one thing that's really interesting is that graphics cards make great accelerators for AI. Uh, so basically, when you're processing computer graphics, uh, you have to do a lot of matrix multiplication very quickly, right? Because you, you don't want uh, frame tearing, you don't want lag in your game. And so they took that skill set and translated it to deep learning which of course deep learning is the underpinning technology for large language models today. And so then NVIDIA, I think it was what, probably about a year ago, um, I looked up their press release. They announced that they were gonna do the, the NEMO project, Megatron, and that they were training a 530 billion dense parameter model. So for comparison, GPT-3 that is all the rage right now is 176 billion parameters. So this one is four times larger, um, which is, crazy. It's insane how big this is. It's also dense. And so what dense means is that instead of having like a connection here and there and then, you know, whatever, every, every neuron, every node or parameter, I guess, is connected to every other parameter in subsequent layers. So it is an incredibly expensive uh, model to train and, a, and an ex, uh, expensive to use, right? Now, there's a lot of secrecy around it. They just went into closed beta, which I may or may not have applied to. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, and um, they, they've got the hardware, but the question remains, do they have the data, right? Do they have, do they have, are they gonna be able to compete with OpenAI with their instruct train models? Remains to be seen. Um, so keep your eye on this space, uh, the Nemo Megatron, um, it, for, for me personally, I'm glad to see it. And the reason that I wanted to include this one is because right now OpenAI is way out ahead. They're ahead of everyone. There's some open source alternatives, but nothing stacks up to OpenAI right now. And on the one hand, it's good that like you got someone, you know, hard charging into the future. On the other hand, it's bad because there's no competition, right? And if there's no competition, they control the market. And, um, you know, it's just competition is good. It's good for everyone because it'll be good for uh, consumers, for prices. It'll also be good because they can hold each other accountable. So here's the thing is in these spaces where you have one person that dominates the marketing and sets the tone, they make all the choices, right? 
And without consumer choice, there's no selection. So I'm really excited that NVIDIA has thrown in, you know, thrown their weight into the, into the ring. Um, and we'll see, we'll see where it goes. I have no doubt. So NVIDIA, here's another thing about NVIDIA. Um, they hire all the best algorithm people in the world, all the best optimizers, algorithm optimizers in the world. I have no doubt that they will catch up with open AI. They might even overtake open AI. And as much money is on the table, I wouldn't be surprised if they go all in on this technology in the next 12 months. So this time next year, we might be talking about NVIDIA models instead of open AI models. Who knows? <laughs> so that's, that's my, that's my hot take on, uh, NVIDIA and Nemo Megatron. Yeah. No, it's, it's quite the hot take. Um, it's funny because NVIDIA could own the entire stack, right? They make the chips, they yep. make the software for the chips, they make the models that run <laughs> on all of that. And then, you know, then on top of that, like, it's kind of just like in an API, right? And a, a web UI, right? On top of all that. So, uh, I, I, you know, I wrote very early on, like in 2020 on my Substack, I had an article, like, basically asking how come NVIDIA doesn't enter this space, right? It seems like, and obviously, like, eventually, like, if your goal is AGI, um, like, that's maybe your end goal, like, OpenAI basically says that's their goal, um, part of the reason they pursue that goal is is because AGI technically you could tell a supercomputer that's super intelligent to go make you like 10 billion dollars right and it would basically go into the stock market find some crazy arbitrages and go make you 10 billion dollars so you have like an infinite money printing machine basically and so anyways like there's there's like <laughs> there's like the argument of like you know with Nvidia like is is the end goal to make chips is the end goal to make money <laughs> right like it's kind of like if you can solve agi then you don't need to be a chip manufacturer anymore and right. you know the model could make you the money and essentially instead of just giving away sort of the the economic value and output generated as a result of your hardware by selling the hardware you can also capture some of that economic output as well yourself um and of course, all like the literature and like, you know, science fiction, the stories always have the, uh, super intelligent AI. The, one of the earliest things it does is improve its own hardware. Right. And so ultimately a supercomputer AI would want to redesign Nvidia's chips and switch to like new paradigms and unlock crazier efficiencies. And so, uh, you know, uh, eventually like, you know, Nvidia's role would change anyways. Right. And like, uh, yeah, I don't know. And so they, they have a lot of large language model, like really talented researchers. Uh, I think a lot of this research they put out as well for benchmarking as a selling point to other companies like Google and OpenAI and the general public as well. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it's exciting. More competition in the space is always good. I 100% agree with you on that. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's also interesting that they're setting records, right? <laughs> like, I, I think... Yeah, and nobody knows what it's like using these larger models, right? I mean, if you believe in the scaling laws and follow them, they should be inherently far more capable. They should have far more capabilities than GPT-3 or 3.5 or something like that. Uh, anyways, yeah, it's exciting. And next year it'll be, what, are we hitting a trillion next year? David, what do you think? Well, so in terms of, in terms of parameters and, and density, I think the big thing is going to be sparsity. So, cause, you know, as the, as the, the multimodal mogul, 
you know, you know all about like there's different kinds of models. You know, there's there's um, you know, state diffusion. You can use transformers for just about anything. But one thing that so here's a hypothesis. Here's here's me just wild speculation. Okay, so we move from dense models to sparse models, right? And that allows you to get much bigger. So Google came up with what they called the, the switch transformer. And we haven't heard anything about it. But the, the advantage of the switch transformer was that it only activated the bits that it needed. So that way you could have a larger model, but it would be cheaper to run because it would only activate the sections of its brain that it needed at any given moment. I think that's the future. Um, so, you know, whether it's you know, 500 billion or a trillion or a hundred trillion, you know, I've seen rumors that GPT-4 has a hundred trillion, um, parameters. If it is that big, you know, if it's a thousand times bigger than what we have today, I don't see how they could do it without going sparse. Now, here's what's really going to bake your noodle. What if we bring back recurrent neural networks? So, uh, for anyone who doesn't remember, RNNs have a loop where there's a feedback loop. So the transformer can talk to itself. Or the model, I guess, I don't know if uh, anyone's built a transformer RNN, but it can persist its own state and continue thinking. So, because everyone, everyone who's used these large language models today, the biggest problem is they have a very short memory. They can't remember anything after, you know, three seconds. Um, and so what if you fix that? What if you go sparse and add the recurrent loop? I suspect that there are very smart people working on that, you know, at NVIDIA, Google, Microsoft, OpenAI, wherever. So, you know, that's, that's another reason why I said pay attention to NVIDIA because as, as you mentioned, like, you know, they've got, they've got the best researchers in the world. Ditto for OpenAI, Google, DeepMind, all of them. So, I mean, we're blown away by what we can do today, but we haven't even like scratched the surface of what's theoretically capable or possible in this space. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, now it's rumored chat GPT, at least, okay, it's not rumored, but I have this weird kind of hunch. And this is again, wild speculation, right? Because everyone's <laughs> been wondering about chat GPT's context window, right? So word on the street is it's 8k. So that's like a much bigger memory size. I have a crazy hunch speculation that chat GPT has scratch pad capabilities. So uh, if you're wondering, like scratch pad capabilities, basically the AI model might take small notes and like, be able to revisit them later. Yeah, just like David Stewart. <laughs> and so, note. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, it's kind of like sort of how humans do it. I, I think we do have some kind of obviously we do have some kind of long term memory, but a lot of it is we externalized, right? And we mm -hmm. have a limited context window as well. So, um, so that's another sort of uh, route or direction here, right? But it would be very interesting to see RNNs come back too, like how how David's describing. Uh, and yeah, very, 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 very uh, exciting and cool stuff. Um, okay, number six. So we got pedals. This is decentralized large language models. Uh, David, tell us about pedals. Yeah. So pedals. Um, someone on on the the Discord community that I started uh, posted this link. This was a few months ago now, but pedals is really cool because. Um, for for anyone who remembers SETI at home or folding at home, so this was where you'd you'd install a an agent on your computer and a centralized command would send you a little packet to work on, and then your your computer would you know use its computational resources and send them back. And so this, I mean, this like goes back more than a decade um, for folding at home and SETI at home. Um, and so the idea of decentralized computing is nothing new, but 
Uh, and and also, I think uh, I think folding at home set records at the time for you know number of like hypothetical like exaflops, right? In terms of total amount of compute done per second by distributing it to millions of nodes. Well, so what what the folks at Pedals did, or with Pedals, I don't remember who who published it, but what they did was they took that same idea where you install an agent on your computer and then you host just one layer of a of a large language model or any any large transformer really and then you're part of a network and so you're just processing vectors you're just processing um dense uh, uh matrices that are coming and then you send it on in a decentralized manner and so this is really really big because what this allows you to do is rather than have any specialized hardware cuz right now you have to you have to scale up right you have to get really big computers um, GPT-3 takes 760 gigabytes of VRAM, I think, over 700, right? And so it, like, you need a million dollars worth of hardware just to run the thing. Um, that's not sustainable. It's also not, I'm not going to say it's unfair, um, but it, it makes it un- unaccessible to ordinary companies or ordinary people. What Pedals does, what this decentralized technology does, is it allows you and your friends to if if you've got you know I don't know how many people you need but probably you know 30 40 50 60 100 people you could host your own large language model server in a private you know coalition um and and so more recently some of the news is I believe they were able to either train or fine tune GPTJ in a decentralized manner I was I think it was called GPTJT um so if you look that up the fact that we're able to train and fine tune these models in a decent, in a distributed manner is that speaks really good for the future because that means that these models are not going to be locked behind, um, paywalls, uh, for long. You know, obviously the, 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 the pioneering groups like NVIDIA and OpenAI, they're going to be out ahead by a couple of years, but they've only got like a one to two year lead on the rest of the market. Everything that they do within a year or two is going to be open source and distributed. Um, and so that means, uh, AI is going to be intrinsically democratized, which I think is phenomenal news because one of the, you know, like one of the things that people are afraid of is, oh, well, it's going to be too expensive. Um, and only, only the biggest companies are going to be able to host it. So they get, con- con- they get control of it and they get all the money. Right. Um, or if they, if they change direction and they say, oh, well, we're going to keep the best, uh, the best capabilities for ourselves and get you like nerfed versions. It's like, no, we can, we can host it ourselves. Thanks. Um, and so decentralized AI is absolutely critical for the future of all of humanity and all the economy, because then it, it, it is intrinsically kind of redistributing the power to the people. Um, and that's why I included this as, as number six, because this one, you know, most people aren't using pedals, but it's a proof of concept and it works. Right. And so this technology is going to be big in the future. I wouldn't be surprised if 10 years from now, when phones are a, a thousand times more powerful than they are, you probably will be running some of these decentralized nodes on your phone, let alone like on your computer, your PlayStation, whatever. And you can be participating in decentralized stuff. And guess how you'll be earning for that? You'll probably get some cryptocurrency tokens by allowing your hardware to participate in these decentralized networks. And then you're earning you know, uh, credits of some sort just by virtue of owning a piece of hardware that's participating in an open and decentralized uh, ecosystem of AI. Um, so this 
I'm not saying that that's what's happening now, but that's what I predict. And that's why I'm saying this was a huge innovation because if you had told me a year ago, you can run a, a large language model, you know, billions of parameters across a network, I would have been like, how? <laughs> but they did it, right? And if it works, then great. If it works now, it can get better and better in the future. So this is this is huge news. Uh, pay attention to decentralized and uh, uh, um, uh, yeah, de uh, decentralized AI. Yeah, I mean, this is awesome. Thanks. Thank you for sharing. Um, yeah, the more options we have, the better. Like, I, I think it's quite unfair if AI hardware ends up being the people with access to hardware who can basically afford it or pay for the closed source models uh, mm -hmm. end up being the ones to use it and benefit economically and build businesses on top of it and have, you know, these crazy asymmetric advantages compared to people who don't, right? So uh, it's definitely a mission I'm, I'm really excited about. Uh, I, I think it's it's awesome. Um, I think there's other paths too. So <clears throat> for example, Stable Diffusion went open source. It fits on a phone, right? And they're further making optimizations. And I heard like Apple and the M1 chip. So Stable Diffusion is even more efficient now on the M1 chip. And uh, basically the next version from what I've heard on Twitter is it'll generate five images in one second, right? Wow. And so these kinds of efficiencies, we, like, we may see as well, right? And on the other hand, there's also InstructGPT. So the InstructGPT, the reinforcement learning with human feedback uh, technique and process, it basically, perceptually, the research paper, what they found in the InstructGPT research paper was that um, uh, when you add this reinforcement learning with human feedback on top of an existing model, to the end users, they prefer it over a model a hundred times the size, right? And so uh, the other the other route is we just have something more efficient. We have something with better reinforcement learning with human feedback. And then we can basically use these smaller models as well. We may not need like a really distributed one. However, I, I still think there's value to the very large models, even if they have reinforcement learning with human feedback, uh, just in terms of access for researchers, uh, for you know, people building interesting stuff, right? A lot of people uh, may not prefer for their business use case reinforcement learning with human feedback. They may have something really specific. The results are better without it and and stuff like that. So anyways, yeah, very exciting. And there's so many just communities this year building and doing stuff, right? Like it's, um, I cannot keep track, right? Like it used to be what? Like uh, Eleuther AI, <laughs> like that was the yeah. Discord uh the the dolly discord and then now the, it's now known as the lion discord and then there was all like the major uh ai art discords right vq gan and clip uh then everybody else was on another one and then another one based on like uh different notebooks and stuff right and this year like there's also the eleuther there's the stable discord the mid journey discord you have opening eyes discord right you have like um uh who else uh yeah, even even within stability, like they also have uh, Carper AI, right? And they have the the music one. Like it's it's just too much community. Like no one person can keep track anymore. Uh, so, anyways, yeah. And next year we'll just continue seeing more projects, more communities, more open source initiatives. Uh, many people are you know looking at these problems, right? So, all right, number five, Bloom, an open source competitor to GPT three. Yep. Yeah, so in the same vein that we were just talking about with Petals, Bloom is the same size as GPT-3, 
Um, it may or may not have had any algorithmic improvements. I heard that Bloom was really impressive compared to, to uh, baseline DaVinci. Um, and the, the thing is, is, okay, Open Source Consortium was able to train this, which is incredible. Um, so again, it's a matter of decentralizing, but also just making sure that it's not locked away, right? You don't want, you don't want it like in, in the, what was it? Indiana Jones and the Ark of the Covenant or the, uh, the Last Crusade where like it's just put in a box and put in a warehouse and, and normal people can't get access to it. So Bloom represents something that says, okay, yes, a for-profit private company was able to train this, but a couple years later, an open source consortium was able to do it as well and also attain um, equal or better performance, at least as the foundation model. So there's a lot of other stuff, like you mentioned, instruct, um, you know, uh, aligned, fine-tuned models. There's a lot that you can do with these models once you get them. So foundation models, they are really important, um, but the fact that this one is fully open source is just, it's incredible because, you know, one of the biggest things that people have always been afraid of um, with with AI and, and other advanced technologies like, you know, um, longevity medicine, right, is that it's only going to be accessible to the ultra wealthy. But the fact that, it, that, that, that there's so much attention, and as you mentioned, there's hundreds of communities now, universities, uh, uh, open source, whatever, every everyone has their eyes on this stuff. And that's good because it means that um, that we're all going to have access to it. And again, that also, it, it, it's not just a matter of access and democratizing access. That's huge, but it's also accountability because then I think one of the key reasons that they made bloom was it was like 900 scientists worked together and they, they did it to prove a point to say, this is not closed source. The entire process was inclusive, including the data, the, the, the architecture, the hardware, everything was inclusive and they, and so like they proved the point. They succeeded. Um, will they do that every year? I don't know. I don't know how much it costs to plan to train Bloom, but you know, it's still, it, it's a proof of concept and it's keeping the world in the right direction. I hope that this trend continues. It's always possible that it's not, especially if things scale up to the point that it gets too expensive to do an open source. But as you said, there's a lot of potential just with the size of models that we already have today, right? You can use a smaller, uh, well, I think it was what, Curie, like a six billion parameter model. If that one is, is aligned for instruct, it's still better than DaVinci, which is, um, what, like, uh, 20 times larger, right? So, you know, you can, you can get a lot of performance out of smaller models if they're trained right. And so this is, this, the Bloom is probably too big for a lot of those things. Um, at least today, but in five or 10 years, you'll be able to run Bloom on, you know, your, your home PC if you want. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it, it, it's, it's all, it's all in the same vein of, uh, democratizing access and holding each other accountable. More options, lots of options. It's the language model, multimodal model, buffet, right? You pick which one you want. Uh, one thing I find interesting about the open source stuff, I, I think a lot of companies use it but they may not disclose it, right? Um, they may not have to disclose it and stuff like that. And then likewise with OpenAI's side, they don't necessarily talk about their clients either, right? And so, um, you know, these things probably do have crazy impacts and usage, but for the most part, we don't hear about it, right? Um, and then, you know, the game has changed, not just with ChatGPT, but even earlier this year with InstructGPT, like I think, that's mainly the preference for most first-time users, for most users, for most use cases that I'd say ordinary people have. Uh, I would say some kind of instruct model, 
from different organizations is probably more than enough. And I think where things like Bloom come in handy uh, is research and for companies, engineering orgs, you know, they're, they're building interesting things. And so they want to use this model and sort of leverage it, right? And uh, who knows where else this model is being used or, or deployed, right? Uh, so yeah. very, very cool. And uh it's yeah it's it's always exciting to see people just come together and 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 get stuff done it can be so so difficult like it's you know challenging to organize and rally and the bet they had to raise money you know like there's so many like yeah. other factors here too that uh yeah it's of course a tremendous achievement absolutely all right meta ai wins at diplomacy it's a board game <laughs> yeah, so Cicero was a project by Meta. Um, and so here's the thing is when I first read that, I almost didn't believe it because here's the thing is it's a really big leap to just have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with a, with a machine or have it solve a, a single dimensional problem. But when you have something that requires strategy and, um, and, and multiple players, this is when you get into, into game theory. And I, by no means am I an expert in game theory, but the idea is that with each additional player, the complexity goes up exponentially, right? And so the fact that they were able to get a model that outperformed, I think, what was it? It was in like the top fifth percentile or something um, in terms of performance. So it outperformed out of 20 humans, 19 uh, in, term, in, in terms of how well it played this game. And so that is... It, it, I was almost scared when I first read that. I was like, no, no, that can't be real. That's this. It's too soon. It's too soon because here's the thing. If you have a machine that can outperform, outthink groups of people that well, then you have something that can strategize and it could, if misused, be manipulative. Um, you know, it, obviously it's a, a board game has very constrained rules, very constrained problem space. So it's a long ways uh, before, you know, the Cicero model, you know, takes over the geop geopolitical stage and is pitting nations against each other in, in the real world. So I'm not too worried about that, but just the idea that, that, that we're already at a point where, um, where, where models can engage in game theory, complex game theory, right? And it's not just a matter of, of, you know, mathematical calculation, right? Like we've seen, um, what was it? The, the, um, uh, League of Legends playing one and Dota and, and, you know, and Go, right? Uh, um, Alpha Go. So they're still, they're still stuck in, in basically board games or constrained spaces, but this is a new kind of problem, right? It's not something you can calculate mathematically. It's something that you have to be able to think about in terms of understanding human motivations. And that is like, that's the uncanny valley, right? If we have a machine that can understand trust and human motivations at any level, right? Obviously this is still like in the kiddie pool version because it's, it's, a, it's a board game. But if you can do that now, what can we do next year? And so this is like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm definitely not accusing Meta of like plotting to take over the world. Well, uh, anyways, get back to me on that one. Um, but <laughs> yeah, this kind yeah, maybe <laughs> this kind of technology could, I, I, I could conceivably be very dangerous in the wrong hands and at the right level of sophistication. Um, because once you get into game theory and manipulation, um, it's, you know, and I, and I say manipulation, I don't mean manipulation is like, I'm going to spread misinformation. What I mean by manipulation is 
I have a particular outcome that I want that is adversarial to the outcome that someone else wants. So that's what I mean manipulate by manipulation. Um, I'm going to figure out how to win this game regardless of, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever other people want. And so this gets into the, you know, okay, well, you build an AI that can do anything. What objective do you give it? What success metric do you give it? Um, and that's a, that's a big question. I wrote a whole book about that. So yeah, keep your eye on this space. Um, I hope that Cicero doesn't precipitate worse technologies. Um, I hope that, you know, it's used by the, by the research community to understand these things. And actually maybe, maybe we could use pit two of these machines against each other so that we can learn how to defeat it. Right. So that we can learn how to inoculate ourselves against, you know, game theory AI. Yeah, it's it's a huge just uh, achievement benchmark. It's, you know, ethically challenging. Do we want to train AIs that are good at manipulating people, humans? Right. Right. Um, I, you know, there's a lot of people into just board games as well. Right. So I could see this being very exciting for them. Like in the same way uh, Go or these other things were. Now, the hype around this model didn't hit Go levels. Like when DeepMind AlphaGo beat the uh, Lisa Dahl in, in Go. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, it's it's very, very significant. You're right. Next year, like who knows, right? Yeah. Who knows what else it's going to be capable of. Um, it definitely takes some understanding, right? you know, like of players motivations the outcomes of the game the foreseeable outcomes like take some level of reasoning i guess right um and i it was for me like just also very left wheel like left wing like i didn't know meta was working on stuff like this <laughs> right like i did, i really just didn't expect it oh yeah, yeah. no it, it was a bolt from the blue right like just out of nowhere they're like oh yeah we we casually made this thing that wins board games you know 19 times out of 20 or, or, you know, whatever the, whatever its win average was. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, like the most benign use is that you have, uh, an AI game player, um, that is able to just, you know, have, be a, be a fun, you know, thing. Like I've had so many people reach out to me and be like, Hey, can we make a D and D like AI game master? Right. Sure. Like, you know, just make an AI storyteller. Um, but, you know, especially if the, the fact that they chose diplomacy, that was an interesting choice. <laughs> that, that's, that's what unnerved me a little bit. I was like, why choose that game? Why not choose like Risk or, you know, Seven Wonders or something else, right? But diplomacy, granted, you know, there's, there's games that are worse about backstabbing. Um, but it's still like, it was a, uh, it made you stop and think, <laughs> like, why that one? Yeah. Yeah. Cause they can't. <laughs> Right, like it's it's competitive out here. It's competitive yep. out here. Why not? We're better. We can do whatever we want. We're supposed to be working on VR. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the metaverse. Uh, and then also, yeah, there was a little little bit of a brouhaha uh, with Meta as well. We should probably touch chat about that a little bit. Um, they had released a uh, language model called Galatica, which was meant for scientific researchers. I think from their perspective, they imagined a scientist is writing something, and then along the way, Galatica will predict the next set of tokens for them. So basically help them write uh, as they're going along, specifically for scientific literature. 
Uh, and then there's other maybe research applications with this language model. Perhaps you could help it. You could use it to help you understand scientific research, conceptualize new areas of research, uh, maybe explore. Maybe there's something in the model that's relevant to science that can help us, uh, you know, create new science breakthroughs as a result of understanding how these models work in the domain of science. So, I mean, that, that's sort of the, the, the pitch there. Uh, but it was a brouhaha because everybody started going after Jan LeCun <laughs> for spreading scientific disinformation. Uh, critics like Gary Marcus were pointing out that, you know, uh, we just went through the, you know, the current, uh, health crisis, which I will not name because I don't want to get dinged by YouTube, but there was a current health crisis in 2020 to 2022 where there was a significant amount of scientific disinformation. And so the criticism was, we just went through this. Why are you releasing a model uh, that can add more disinformation? Didn't we learn the lesson of the risks and dangers of scientific disinformation, this specific category? What, what, do, you, what do you think, David? Yeah, no, that I mean, that that's a great point. And um I think, I think what this underscores. So just looking at it from a strictly, um, technical perspective, right? Cause there's the infodemiology perspective that you just said, like this can, this can confabulate, um, plausible sounding science jargon, which is very confusing to some people. Um, and that's, that's dangerous enough. But from a technical perspective, what this underscores is that, um, scale is not all you need. Right. You need a better theory of information. You need a better theory of mind and you need architectures or systems around these language models or different kinds of language models and knowledge management systems. I don't think that we're ever going to get to a point where we have one model that rules everything. Right. Um, the models are great. They're good. They're good cognitive engines. But just like a Ferrari, you don't have just a V12 with wheels. Right. You need the steering. You need you need the body. You need uh, traction traction control. Right. So the way that I interpret this is that Galactico is like, OK, they built a new engine, but didn't didn't put any wheels on it. Right. <laughs> so you can't you can't drive. You can't steer. You can't go anywhere useful if you have a powerful engine, but no structure or controls around it. And I think that that's what what's going to pivot. And and this is um well, I get I get into it later. I'll, uh, that this is some of the stuff that I'm working on. We'll get to that at, uh, later in the podcast. Yeah, like you know the the term that uh, we love on the safer end of commercialized deployed AI is guardrails. Where are the guardrails? Guardrails. What are the guardrails? How are you thinking about safety? How are you thinking about ethics? How are you thinking about misuse? Uh, how are you thinking about disinformation? Right. So in in the, in the in the general language model case, there's still the risk of political disinformation. Right not scientific yep. disinformation right um and so yeah like it's it's very interesting and um the the in inherent problem with language models is like david is basically saying is they are meant to predict plausible sounding text so it may not be true it may not be accurate it just plausibly it sounds plausible to humans right so it's it's almost designed to fool humans right like that's kind of what plausibility means and so uh, companies like Anthropic, they put out a research paper. They're, they're trying to maybe, I saw a research paper, which is trying to address like, rather than plausibility, what would a language model look like with a goal of just trying to get to the truth? Right. Mm. Um, and so anyways, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, I was a little bit, uh, you know, I was sort of 50 50 about it. I don't know how much thought went in on the meta side to put out this model. 
And, you know, like the big thing that Jan LeCun is, is saying is the net good of releasing these models is a good thing. And that's what he believes and all these things. And, you know, rightfully so. People asked him on Twitter, like, how can you make that evaluation? How can you know that the overall good will be will be better and worthwhile than the bad? Right. Like, I, I don't know of any human unless you're omnipotent, omnipresent. Right. Like your God can make these kinds of evaluations. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's a little bit, uh, and then eventually they took down the model. Right. So I, I don't know what happened there. Right. Like whether, you know, meta legal corporate, what happened that, you know, they were so confident they put it out. They were, you know, supporting it saying open source is good or that you know the net they're not open source good they're basically saying the net good will be worth it and stuff and if that was true why'd you take it down right and then there's also the other side of they basically the model will still be out there right they've made it open source it's leaked it will be somewhere and so does them taking them down really do or solve anything right so anyways yeah that was a pretty interesting you know significant brouhaha uh uh i mean it seemed well-intentioned Right. And I don't know what their plan is in the future, uh, but yeah. uh, they may be probably the only one of the big tech companies open sourcing language models and uh, these these things at all. Right. Because they also put out what is it? The OTP models. Right. Like the I think they released their own language models as well, not just the scientific ones this year. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, like uh, uh, interesting, you know, it's developing. We'll see. And I don't quite know Meta's overall AI goals like what's the plan with them like why are they releasing like is it just research is it just like right like i don't know anyways all right we will we'll keep it moving all right the crypto crash ftx implosion <laughs> this was huge yeah so somehow i don't know if it's just because like i i ignored cryptocurrency for years like i was an early investor in bitcoin um you know i did some algorithmic trading on coinbase a few years ago Made a couple hundred bucks. Um, but then I was like, you know what? This is too dangerous. It's too unstable. I'm going to get out of it. Um, so I did. Um, fast forward a couple of years and I started, you know, reading uh, more about DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations. And there are so many. Uh, what's what's the term? Like there's a fool born every minute. So it's like uh, the motley fool like for finance investing. There are so many people, so many poor souls that got the got the wool pulled over their eyes because someone started up a DAO and said, invest in this DAO. And then they didn't understand what a DAO was or how it was supposed to work. And so then they just, you know, got fleeced. Um, and then basically what happened, just looking at the story of FTX is that, you know, a couple of younger, younger tech guys and girls got together and, and they just kind of went willy nilly um, and managed to get a whole bunch of investment. Um, and, and didn't really know what they were doing. Um, and a lot of people, you know, again, got fleeced because crypto is so new. Uh, de uh, decentralized finance is so new. The regulation isn't there. And so it's like, okay, you know, who's, who's really at fault? O obviously someone who conducts criminal activity, uh, alleged criminal activity, um, or fraud or Ponzi schemes or whatever. Um, they're responsible for their actions, but at the same time, People that invest in speculation too early without understanding the risks, without understanding the, the lack of regulation, right? Because that was the that was the golden promise of Bitcoin was we're gonna we're gonna create a currency that governments can't touch. 
And then, of course, it's been used for pump and dump by everyone from the Russian mafia to the Yakuza for years, right? And um, and so crypto is super, super um, uh, vulnerable to all kinds of manipulation, all kinds of criminal activity, because it was, by design, difficult to regulate. So this is, I, th I think what we just saw was like the tulip craze equivalent and so now we've had, you know, the, the biggest bubble in history, as far as I know, um, in terms of cryptocurrency crashed and it was going to be someone, right? This is why I sold all my crypto years ago. I was like, it's going to be someone. I don't know who and I don't know when, but something is going to go horribly wrong. And, and a lot of people are going to, are going to lose their shirt. And that's exactly what happened now. Um, you know, cause it was, it, you, you get this, you get this panic, this contagion effect where it's like, Crypto is crashing. Everyone sells. You get liquidity crunches. You get all sorts of bad stuff. Um, and, you know, worst case scenario, some people lose their life fortune, right? Uh, what was it? The football player, dude, he went all in on FTX and lost his entire fortune. Like, who, boy, you know, can you imagine having to wake up and tell your wife and kids like, sorry, we got to sell the mansion because I went all in on crypto. Uh, yeah. So this is, it's bad news. I really feel for everyone who got hurt by this. And so for, for reference, um, my grandfather, after he died, uh, this is years ago, guess who was running his retirement account? Bernie Madoff. So like my family has been hurt by Ponzi schemes, which is pretty much exactly what FTX was. Right. Oh, wow. And so like Ponzi schemes happen, you know, fraud happens. And so, you know, it's like on the one hand, like, who, who, who gave these kids like, you know, there was, the, there was that, 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 uh, what was it? They were on the phone with Sequoia, right? And, and he was playing League of Legends and someone at Sequoia was like, whoa, this kid's a genius. Like he's playing League of Legends while we're on a important call. Like, why are you giving this person money? So it's like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of blame to go around in terms of everything that went wrong. Like, you know, so I added this because, so that, that's, that's the bad part. What happened immediately after is everyone like from BlackRock and Vanguard and whoever else, every investment bank around the world started pulling money out of crypto and they're looking for the next big thing because what else is crashing? Tesla and Meta. So all the tech giants and crypto is crashing. Where is that money going now? It's all going to AI. So the, the silver lining is that those of us in language model space are like, hey, we're getting investment now. Yay. Um, but you know, a lot of people got hurt in the meantime. Um, and so like what I think is, is, is we're basically going to head into like a crypto winter, uh, a DeFi winter for a while, because like, it's going to take, like, no one's going to invest in this because the, 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 the SEC, FEC, every regulator in the entire planet is going to be looking at this with a lot of scrutiny and no one is going to invest any significant money into it until all the dust settles, which could be years. Right. Even though there's some people that are always willing to speculate on this stuff, the big names are not going to touch it because they're worried that the well has been poisoned and it very well may have been. So this is really big because here's where here's where it could hurt us is um, for some of your viewers. You might have seen um, my other podcast where I did an interview with Tao. So what Tao is, is it's a decentralized AI company. And one of the part, one of the, the th things that they do is they have a cryptocurrency that is you get, you earn in exchange for sharing knowledge. Well, because it's a, because it's a, a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization with a cryptocurrency, no one wants to touch it anymore. Right. 
And it's like, but like, they're the good guys. As far as I can tell, they're the good guys who really want to use this technology for good. But be because they're kind of in lumped in with other crypto stuff and other DAO stuff, it's like, you know, the well has been poisoned. Um, and so a lot of people are like, you know, I'm just not going to touch it right now until, until, uh, you know, we know for certain. So, you know, it, it's, it's bad all the way around. Um, you know, I, I do have a little tiny bit of schadenfreude because like, you know, I got out of crypto and I was like, it's too dangerous. And, you know, I was right. But, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm super, I'm super paranoid anyways. So, you know, a broken clock is right at least twice a day. Um, but, but yeah, so that's, that's my spiel on why this one made it onto the list is because it's not directly related to AI, but it's going to have knock on effects for many, many years. So that's, that's, that's my story. Yeah. And of course, it's like all of this is alleged, but also a lot of details are also coming out. So like, you know, I, it's still, you know, it's yet to be seen, right? Like what actually happened, uh, you know, if there were any crimes committed and, you know, what, if there were crimes and who's, who's to blame, like all that stuff is, is still yet to be seen. Sure. Um, <clears throat> now as a super crypto outsider, um, my thing is like, I thought, FTX were supposed to be the good guys, right? And like, that's why it's just so hard to watch and just so scandalous, right? Is they, I think they were trying to push for regulation. That's what, like, that's what I heard. That's that they were supposed to, they were meeting with regulators. Meanwhile, they themselves were caught up with stuff, right? And so, um, yeah, like it's, it's, I, I don't know what it is with crypto, right? In general, like not even outside of, outside of FTX, not even them, like, I, I have noticed a lot of these, uh, platforms and, you know, new coins and the ICOs and then the NFTs, they all kind of go nowhere. <laughs> like they all, people take the bag and they just leave, you know, like they don't really, uh, go past that point. And so, there's just that element where I think, you know, they say absolute power corrupts absolutely. I think maybe there's something to that, right? Where, you know, you get to these highs, you make all this money and you just, you know, there's just crypto is notorious for all this grifting, grifting that has always been going on. And like, I don't know, like what is substantive in crypto, right? What is valuable? What is in, you know, what, who are the companies that have entity? Like, I, so I still, sorry, that have integrity. I still have, uh, I still have a small amount of coins in Coinbase, right? But like, I don't know, right? Like, because the whole industry and the peers, like, it's like, it's sometimes it's like nobody wants to be legit, <laughs> you know, like they all just want to take the bag and run. And, you know, the incentives and the lack of regulations and the power and, you know, all that stuff is, is just also just so strong, right? That, that, you know, and then all these people like disappear as well after their, their platform crashes and stuff. So, um, anyways, yeah, like it's, it's yet to be seen. And then there's like fundamental questions of crypto now. Now that you're, you're saying we're in this winter, I 100% is a great way to put it. Um, like, for example, like, uh, you know, it, it's argued that federal governments prefer the blockchain <laughs> because they could see every interaction, right? There's a record of who bought what, who transferred who to what. And on the other end, when they try to convert that into fiat, 
it may be very obvious where they got the fiat from. There's some digital record. There's some real legitimate records, and they can narrow down where the money is 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 dispersed, right? And so, I don't know if you're anonymous with it. Uh, it's unclear. Like I've I, again, like crypto has been around for so long. I've never seen anybody in real life pay with crypto ever for anything. Um, and like, uh, you know, there's just all these like, uh you know, core fundamental, like, for example, like I heard even OpenSea is, is going to become more centralized. <laughs> like they're going to become like a mediator now. And so the whole point is it's supposed to be decentralized, right? So it's kind of like, I don't know, like a lot of the core tenants and fundamentals of crypto are being examined and questioned. And I think also, uh, didn't uh, China ban crypto as well? So like the, it just, Bitcoin like tanked by half overnight. So yeah. Anyways, yeah, like it, it's not that great. And I guess bringing it back to our world, um, my concern is this year because of crypto and all that stuff, a lot of those same grifters and, you know, people who are involved in these sketchy rug pulls on, you know, with NFTs and Discord, where do you think they are now, right? Do you think they just disappeared off the face of the earth? No, they're here in the generative AI space, quote unquote, right? Um, I personally got a little bit nervous uh, as soon as we came up with a buzzword like generative AI, <laughs> right? Ah. And like, it seems to me like a lot of those people are here. Now, on one hand, there the difference between uh, this world and, and crypto is there's actually some merit, right? The models are getting better. They're capable of doing things we can't believe. Like, and every year it's, it's getting better. There's a proven track record there. They have legitimate value. There are startups that pay for these services. There's users paying for these tools. Um, and those companies are making money, right? And so there's a, like, I would say there's more legitimacy, but my concern is just around hype. My concern is all the crypto people coming over here. <laughs> I've, I'm not a fan of the grifting. And the thing that always gets me is, you know, uh, with uh, a lot of these cryptos, like they're, they've basically often they defraud children, right? Like I think that Gen Z really believes in, in crypto more so than, than people older. And like they're the ones who are promoting it on Reddit and Discord. And, you know, there's a new coin and they believe. And this is like their piggy bank, you know? And so it's, it's just sad. And, you know, I, that's why I find crypto often just disgusting, right? Like, you know, you, you know what you did, you know, the victims, like this is, and like, yeah. Anyway, so it's like those people are now here, <laughs> right? right? And like, yeah, VC funding is good, but also I think, you know, VCs sort of show up at the opportune time and pretend to be experts, right? And so, you know, they have completely different objectives, right? Like I'd rather see this space be legitimate, grow, no fraud, <laughs> right? And yeah, there's just also just a lot of fake people. And I think where the space is now, there there is somewhat of a breeding ground for fraud, for corruption, for, you know, all these serious misuse, ethical kinds of things. And so, uh, I don't know, you know, but the, the thing is like our space at least has, has had integrity from the beginning to some extent, right? Like we've been big yep. on AI safety, ethics, there's existential risk, like there's all these things. Right. But yeah, I, I don't quite like it. Um, now with that said though, even with all of this in mind, like I, I still think Bitcoin as a technology may continue to be valuable. I think as technology, it's interesting. The Bitcoin white paper that, you know, proposed the method was novel, right? 
Um, but I think everything else I'm, I'm just not sure about, right? Like, uh, yeah. Ethereum and all the little ones and, and stuff like that. And frankly, I don't know what the whole industry is doing at this point. Right? Like if you're a crypto, like, what are you up to? Right. <laughs> I get so many, still, I get so many Twitter DM spam messages for NFTs to help promote their NFT. And I'm just like, nope. 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 <laughs> yeah. I'm not touching that. No, thank nope. you. <laughs> and like, anyways, yeah, we'll see. Uh, and I guess if there's any lesson here for the AI space is, you know, like ethics, legal, like uh, safety, you want to think carefully about who you work for. You want to think carefully who, who you're partnering with. You want to yeah. have the right incentives. You want to have the right contract. You want to have the right partners who are aligned with you, that they care about ethics, safety, they care about the customers, treating them fairly, you know, being above board. Um, and I guess if you are a... Uh, leadership uh, decision maker at any big AI company. The lesson here as well, it appears with FTX allegedly, the lesson is even one bad actor can set everybody back. One bad actor can destroy the entire industry, destroy all the the all the good people trying to do good. And, you know, maybe maybe crypto gets highly regulated now. And, you know, maybe these regulations will, will not benefit crypto, right? The, essentially, the the ball will be taken away here. <laughs> Right. And so, yeah, there's no reason why this couldn't happen in, in, in this AI space as well with language models and multimodal models. And so if you are an individual actor who has significant resources and power, I'm, I'm, I'm begging you to please, please think and be considerate and make the right decisions here. Uh, so yep. anyways, number two, here we go. This will be very familiar to most people <laughs> listening. Number two is Dolly two mid journey and stable diffusion. Yeah, man. So um, I'll, you'll you'll probably have a lot more to say about this than than myself, but this really put generative AI on the map, um, or, or transformers as us insiders know them as, um, because you know there was there was a post on Reddit a couple of days ago that really summed it up perfectly. It said, "If you had told me two years ago or asked me two years ago what AI was going to disrupt first, I would have said truck driving, right? But then two years on." What does it disrupt first? Art. I would never have predicted that. And that was like, I was like, yeah, man, you're right. Like, you know, if, if art is the first thing that gets majorly disrupted, and of course now there's the uh, the campaigns, right? Like AI art is theft, um, say no to AI art, human art only. Like there's this huge backlash. Um, you know, we it, it's, it's almost impossible to predict what's gonna go big. Same with chat GPT, which we'll get to in just a second. But so that, I mean, obviously, uh, there's a big reason why uh, AI art is on here because not only was it huge, it's also disruptive. And you see, like Adobe is already selling AI-generated art on their um, on their stock photography um, uh, website. So, like, it's huge. It's here to stay. And as you mentioned earlier, it's getting cheaper, more efficient, more dis more distributed. Um, so, like, it's big, and it no one predicted this. It's, 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 it, it's crazy how impossible it is to predict what's going to go viral and go big and be the next big thing in AI. And that is like, that's worth reflecting on saying like, we don't like 12 months from now, we don't know what's going to be big period, full stop. No one can predict it. And someone, if someone did predict it, like it's a shot in the dark. So that's, that's my spiel on AI art. Um, I'm sure you got lots and lots and lots to, to unpack and, and we can definitely, uh, get lost in the weeds on that. So take it away. 
Yeah. So uh, uh, last last year, you remember, David? I made the series talking about this stuff. Talking about it's you know it's gonna happen. You mean movies? <laughs> I'm gonna make music. Yeah. Like all these lessons for creatives, uh, the ethical concerns as well. Um, but, uh, you know, I was very clear. I think I outlined a lot of the stuff that, that we may see, but even for me, it, this whole experience was unbelievable. Right. And like, sometimes it's kind of like looking through things at a microscope, whereas my series was very broadly looking at, right. And so, and then to live through something that you, you were predicted and outlined very aggressively in 23 videos, uh, yeah. <laughs> and like, it was just a, an unbelievable life experience for me, you know, like it wasn't even it was, you know, is not just eye opening, but, you know, a life experience. And I, of course, was very fortunate. I, I'm very grateful to OpenAI for, for giving me access very early on. Um, uh, and I got to play with the model, publish interesting things. So on the right, you'll see a confused grizzly bear in calculus class. Uh, <laughs> this is my, one of my more famous Dolly prompts at the time. And then I put out a lot of videos with designs, like for new kinds of face masks, for uh, what else? Pencil sharpeners, like all these different industrial design kinds of things. And uh, yeah, it was it was crazy. Like, I think Dolly was a tipping point. I don't know how you feel, David. Where I didn't need to explain what a prompt was after that. Like, I, I don't know. Up until that point, I, I still had to explain what a prompt was to most people. After that, they just got it. All these artists were definitely shocked. Like, they could not believe what they were looking at. Uh, but for a lot of the people using, you know, the OG kind of, you know, VQGAN and clip and all that stuff, like it wasn't that surprising for us. Um, but for them, and then just to see like every creative, every game studio, every YouTube channel you're watching is playing around with this stuff, like all these, you know, internet communities making art, all your favorite, if you're following any subreddits for your favorite TV shows, you saw this influx of AI art about your favorite TV show, right? Like, it's sort of like, uh, it just became, you know, super, super viral, right? Like, you know, it was every, everything and everyone was talking about it. Um, and yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's tons of ethics and stuff. I think OpenAI changed their policies, improved their policies. They had, you know, you could upload a face and they got rid of it and they brought it back once they built those safety systems. So that was pretty good. Um, one good piece that I like this year, it, it looks like the industry is strongly moving against illegal child abuse imagery, uh, which was a huge ethical and safety win. That's what it looks like so far. Obviously, anything is possible next year. Uh, I was personally surprised to see the line was not drawn earlier on. And uh, now it appears the line, at least in that area, is drawn. We'll see about other areas like political disinformation. We'll see about, you know, uh, non-consensual AI art being made about people, right? Somebody taking your photo and just making a video with you in it, like, you know, th th those kinds of issues. I'm not sure if I mentioned political disinformation, uh, but that's another area. Uh, and of course, just gross and violent imagery. We'll, we'll see. I mean, it's, it's yet to be known. AI art is a space that is much bigger than any one person, right? It's bigger than one company. Uh, it's sort of a very evolving discussion. So, uh, yep. we, we will see on, on the ethics front. But anyways, and then, uh, this year, the last time I looked on Google Trends, it appears Midjourney is higher than Dolly 2 and Stable Diffusion. Yeah, in terms of just hype and, and stuff. So I think, to be honest, there are a lot of good things going on at Midjourney. Like, I think they understand artists, the needs of artists much better, perhaps. Artists love the outputs. I think maybe there's something about the pricing model, right? I was a very open critic of OpenAI's Dolly 2 model, like the approach they took and the price points they set. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And to be honest, I, I was a little bit surprised. So from May to July, like it felt like Dolly is sky high and will only keep going from there. But it, it looks like, you know, they kind of had a lot of their market share taken. Uh, what, what did you think, you know, when, when stable came in and people continuing to use mid journey? Uh, how, how did you feel like with, with, with that sort of Game of Thrones going on this year? <laughs> yeah, well, first I want to say, uh, I did not mean to imply that, that you didn't predict it or, or that no one predicted it. Cause I wrote oh, about yeah. the same thing in my first your, book of where I said, yeah. like, you know, uh, text to image, text to video, text to audio is coming. We're going to have fully synthetic video movies before too long. But, 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 and the way that you said it is, is exactly right. Living through it is one thing. Yes. Predicting it. Sure. Like this is hypothetically going to happen. Living through it was just like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> you you, you yeah. know it's coming, but and you right. expect it. But when you're living right. through it, the scale and what actually yep. happens, like you, at, at a high level, you can predict it. But like yep. when it's actually happening at the scale that is happening, you can never foresee that. And I, I completely yeah. understand what you meant, David. Yeah, yeah. You you don't know how it's going to feel. That's you you can predict what, but not how it's going to feel. Exactly. So, um, but yeah. So in terms of watching watching the the kind of Game of Thrones last man standing kind of thing going on, you know. Like you, I was, I, I, I was, and still do have some criticism of OpenAI around their policies, but I get it too, right? Because as you pointed out, there, there are so many problematic uses of, of generative AI. Um, and it's, and it's an open debate, right? Like, um, it, lots of aspects of some of these more problematic, like unstable diffusion was banned from Reddit. Um, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make comment one way or another as to whether or not I, I agree with that because I wasn't even in it. I just I came to it after the fact. I was just like, oh wow, it's like it's like what's that what's that uh the community meme where like the dude walks in with pizzas and everything is on fire? That was like me coming back to, <laughs> to generative AI art. I was just like, wow, this is a mess. Um, so uh, yeah, but one again going back to some of the points that I made earlier, which is comp competition is good because. OpenAI led the charge with Dolly 2, and they said, we're going to set the tone. We're going to make all the choices. And I, I personally didn't agree with all those choices. Then MidJourney and Stable Diffusion comes out, and they make different choices. And that gives the market something to talk about. And by market, I don't mean necessarily the for-profit money market, but like, you know, the Twitter sphere, the YouTube sphere, guys like us, we can all talk about and say, okay, what's 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 really the truth here? What's the direction that we should go? And then we can make choices, Right. Like if, if one of these models is problematic, we can choose to use it, right? Or if one is too expensive or if they're, you know, doing something unethical, we can make individual choices. Uh, but also, as you pointed out, like market share when, when it's, you know, it's three clicks to get to one and two clicks to get to another, uh, uh, the masses get to choose very quickly which one is their favorite and why. And that means that like it's a very cutthroat environment. Um, and again, I think that that's ultimately a good thing, um, not just for access, but also, again, accountability, ethics, um, and, and to let the people decide what direction it is that we want to go uh, collectively, not just, you know, someone, you know, sitting in a big office somewhere, uh, you know, trying to say, let's let's maximize profit. Let's get the most money out of it. And collectively, the rest of us are like, actually, we'll just do it open source. How about that? And uh, and, you know. The, the, the Leon data set that is, or Lion, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but like the data set that's used to train these, you know, we can look at that ethically and say, let's, let's make sure the images that are in this data set, one, we have permission to use them, right? Cause a bunch of artists, you know, I think what stable diffusion three, they said, 
artists are going to be allowed to opt out. Um, I think that it should be opt in, but that's my personal opinion. Like if you want your art to be part of it, you can like say, sign me up. Um, because if you say we'll allow you to opt out, that's putting the burden on the artist to be aware of these things. But before long, if there's going to be too many models to keep track of and too many companies training these models, are you going to have to opt out of all of them? It's going to be like the one, the, the, the do not call phone list, right? I don't know if, uh, most of your viewers are old enough to remember, but like, you know, spam callers, when you had landlines is you call like one, what was it like 1-800 do not call or whatever you sign up for a do not call list. And of course they ignore that now. Um, but anyways, so like there's still a lot, I guess the, the takeaway is there's still a lot to figure out in terms of legality, finance and so on. And um, one, one way that I think that blockchain can be used Maybe not crypto, but blockchain could be, let's, let's imagine, I'm, I'm imagining a future where all of your art that you put online, it's not JPEGs, it's not PNGs, it's not MP3s or any other file type, that it would be something that is intrinsically embedded into something like an Ethereum blockchain. And the only way to use that media is through that blockchain. And so then you get credit every time that you're piece of art or music is listened to and you know exactly who listened to it and when, right? That is one way that I think that like that, that's where I think NFTs make sense. Granted, you know, we're going into a winter, so it might be a few years before someone figures this out. Um, but you know, like I'm, I'm working on a novel, right? And like on the one hand, the, the one of the best ways to sell, uh, sell novels is, uh, self-publishing through Barnes and Noble, Amazon, a few others like that. But what if there was another way? What if you could publish directly to a blockchain and then there's an e-reader that connects to that blockchain and the only way to access that book is in that blockchain? And so then I can sell my book directly to whoever for, you know, 20 cents a, a, a download or whatever. And then that's like, um, uh, what's the term? DRM, digital rights management, right? Um, they tried to do that with eBooks, but it didn't really work, right? Because it was super unpopular. It would break a lot of things. But what if there's a way to get around that to fix that? And so then I imagine a future where, like, if you make a piece of, of digital art of any kind, whether it's music, movie, uh, image, uh, uh, fiction, it goes out on a, onto a blockchain marketplace. And every time someone looks at it, even if it's free, right? You could probably come up with a way where you get a, a couple fractions of a piece of cryptocurrency in exchange for someone having you, you know, looked at or used your, your piece of digital art. Um, will that ever happen? I don't know. It could, it, this, this is just a fantasy on my part, but I could foresee it going that way. And that's, that's why the kind of rewinding just a minute, why I think the crypto crash is actually kind of sad because it's going to set a lot of this back. Um, but anyway, so kind of wide ranging there, but you know, there's, there's, it's all wrapped up together. So yeah. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I agree. Like it's, uh, it's all, it's all yet to be seen, you know, <laughs> like it's like next year, you know, a year after that, I mean, these discussions will, will keep going, you know? Um, yeah, I, I definitely, yep. I definitely agree with what you're saying. Lots to unpack and, and yeah, we'll see where it goes. Hundred percent. I I liked uh, I like that the uh, stability is doing opt out. You know, I, I like that, and uh, I'm curious what everybody else is doing. Right? Are they offering similar opt out? Uh, the blockchain idea you have is interesting. I heard OpenAI has a partnership with one of the stock photography sites, and they're just straight up paying. 
the, mm. the artists and like through some kind of royalty structure. So it's also good to see, you know, different people experimenting. Like, I, I don't know, there's, there's no norms here, right? Like we need to find what works, what's fair and stuff. So I, uh, yeah, I would like to see more voluntarily ethical safety kinds of discussions. Like I'd like to see more of this, you know, you know what we don't, there's right now no, no, no legal reason why we don't necessarily need to, uh, uh, do this, but we're going to go ahead and get, we're going to get ahead on this, right? We're going to start mm -hmm. engaging and we're going to, we're going to find some, some solution here, right? Uh, where fewer people are upset. Um, I, I mean, I definitely think though, the, the AI art vitriol is at an all time high. Many yes. of like the, a lot of the AI art, the faces of AI art get like regular death threats, right? Like it is, is a very, you know, serious and tense and ugly and dangerous frankly uh situation and uh yeah i, I think uh a lot of these technologies make everyone question their role right like what what am i gonna do what's my next step how does you know how does this impact me and you know and in some ways it's you know how can i use these tools and other ways it's wow these tools you know frankly put me out of a job or a skill that i've been building for for so many years so uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it, it's, you know, it is interesting, sometimes hard to watch. Yeah. You know, like, yep. no, and, and to, to your point about like people getting death threats and people being mean to each other, like, you know, people on both sides hurt, right? The, mm -hmm. the, the traditional artists, whether they're digital or, or other kind of artists, they're hurt by AI art coming out so fast. And then, and then the people who are enjoying and, and engaging in, in the AR, they're also getting hurt by like death threats and stuff. And yeah. so, uh, one thing that, that some of your viewers might not be aware of is one of the projects that I was working on over the summer is called AutoMuse. And AutoMuse was novel writing with, uh, with large language models. And as soon as I got it to a point where I realized, hold on, I'm about to have a tool that can write a novel in like four minutes. And I was like, I'm not going to do this. Why? Because most of my friends are writers and I don't want to make a tool that's going to hurt them. And so I took down the code. I took down the videos and uh, I left it down for months while I was like, I was talking to people. I was thinking about it. I was reading about it. And then the AI art backlash happened. And I'm like, that's when I knew I did the right thing. I was like, it's better to wait because there's no rush, right? AI is here. AI is not going anywhere. We'll figure this stuff out. But there is like once you let the cat out of the bag or the genie out of the bottle, like you can't you can't put these things back. And so I was like, I'm gonna scroll, I'm gonna slow roll this to take some of these videos and some of this code down. Um, I did recently put most of them back, but but the the most advanced ones I left down because again, like right in the middle of AI backlash is not the time to <laughs> to hurt authors um, or any kind of any kind of artists, um, especially if they're you know my friends. Um, and I don't want death threats either. Like that sucks. Like, no, it's just, it's not worth it. It's just not worth it. Yeah. And I, I really respect and admire that, you know, you're being very thoughtful about it. Right. And you're thinking through different stakeholders, you're trying to do right by people. Um, and you know, yeah, definitely being thoughtful, methodical, sometimes in the AI world, like the technology is kind of there. It's already there. Right. It's, you know, like anybody with a big budget can just train a huge model and drop it out on the internet. <laughs> you know, like I don't quite think that's not what you're doing, but I'm saying like, at like, uh, you know, if you wanted to compete with OpenAI, you could absolutely do something like that. Right. But, at the, you know, it's, it's at what cost to society, right? It's, yeah. you know, what, 
what could you potentially be polluting? In what ways are you endangering people or misleading people or all these these other kinds of factors, right? And so, I, in my view, sometimes I think the the art of AI is in its safety. It's in its it's in your ability to yes, this is a transform transformative change that has uh, asymmetric outcomes, but also, you know, it's it's not just that, but also it's it's staged out in a safer way that everybody can get adjusted to it. We can maybe red team it, surface some issues, right? And then slowly, slowly um, have a much safer and happier, uh, peaceful, uh, you know, cooperative uh, uh, transition to, uh, you know, a better AI future with greater capabilities. Like I, I'm more, sometimes I'm, I'm often more impressed by safety, to be honest, than I am by the technology like i yeah I, I think if you could follow scaling laws congratulations <laughs> you know like what do you want me to say now that's not to belittle the people behind it who have to you know right. spin up the servers and make them parallel and like you know make it work you know like i've read some of meta's notes about how hard it was to to do it as well like there's all these complications so i'm not trying to belittle that but i'm saying you know navigating the safety part is is really really uh, admirable and I, I i think it's it's the right good sportsmanship good good co- good good competition and, and good practice so anyways yeah uh very exciting stuff with dolly 2 when is dolly 3 dropping <laughs> david are we gonna get are we gonna get some updates from from the dolly team you know sometimes i feel they dropped outcropping they did uh the they made the obviously made the api public and like we just haven't heard from them you know, it's been like two or three months and like, um, you know, we'd, we'd love to see some updates. What's, what's up? What's the plan? What are you guys thinking? What are you guys excited about? Um, and like, uh, you know, like what, uh, you know, what, what's, what's in store for Dolly, right? How, how are you guys thinking about it? The ecosystem's changed now. It's, it's a different ecosystem and, and stuff like that. Uh, but still huge use, huge year for everyone. <laughs> Yeah, everybody. And it's like, only going to pick up team. We'll have video and audio next year. I mean, you know, we're going to we're going to have so much and it's going to come so fast. Yeah, I, I feel like next year be like, we just released point four. We just got three point oh. We got four point four. <laughs> like and like right. each time it now fits on a thumb drive <laughs> from the year 2008. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. And like, uh. Yeah, and I, I talked about this on the Labs podcast, but like the the Game of Thrones, the competition for mindshare, I personally think the core community they want to reach out has only so much mental capacity for new things, right? Yeah. And only so much time. And so in that time, they're using ChatGPT. They're not using MidJourney. They're not using Dolly. They're not using these other things. And so next year, I think these companies are going to work more on just on marketing, just on community engagement, just on promoting and talking about the differences, right? Um, oh yeah, and uh, yeah, I would love to see every company just compete on safety. I think I would love to hear everybody. You know, we're, we're at conferences, you know, <laughs> we're at conferences. We've got policy. We've got active, you know, nice, healthy debate. Working with regulators, you know, like I, I'd love to. I'd love to see more of that. So, anyways, uh, and the big, this is the big boy coming in. Yeah, huge, huge mic drop by OpenAI ended this year. The uh, very major. Chat GPT. Tell us about Chat GPT, David. Yep. Um, yeah. So Chat GPT. Uh, I made a video when it first came out. I was actually kind of salty about it because I didn't get it. Um, I was just like, whatever. I've made chatbots. Like it's nothing special. 
Um, but then I started talking with people about chat GPT and they're like, you know, one guy is like, oh yeah, I, I keep this open beside my, my IDE and I, and it helps me with coding and helps me understand concepts. And I was like, wait a second, hold on, let me give this a shot. And then I saw all kinds of other people doing, um, you know, doing fiction. And then I saw there was a, I think it was on Twitter, um, or LinkedIn somewhere, but I saw that like it passed the bar exam, right? It passed the practice bar. So I was like, okay, chat GPT is good enough to be a lawyer. Uh, well, that's new. Um, <laughs> what else can it do? Uh, obviously, like all language models now, it is subject to confabulation and getting things wrong. So, you know, keep, keep, the wheels, the wheels will still come off the bus from time to time. So it's not ready, not ready for commercial scaling, but it is, it is a fascinating technology. And, um, the two most recent videos that I made, um, I actually used chat GPT as my coding copilot and I did almost no coding. So we are, the, the, this takes the cake number one because like, okay, you can use it for coding. You can use it for darn near anything now, which is incredible, but this is going to make 10 million new coders every year. Why? Because you code in natural language, you code in English. And then, you know, you take the part and you say, I want a function that does this. Um, and it plugs it in for you, whatever. And, and I actually had a conversation. I can't say with who, but with one of the tech giants last summer. And I said, I predict that that coding is going to happen via chat. And they and they agreed with me. They said, yes, natural language interfaces are the way of the future. This put it on the radar in a big way. And the thing is, as with as with all advances in AI, AI right now, they weren't trying to train it to do one thing. They were training it to do to follow instructions and have natural conversations. And in the wash, what came out, the the latent space, the embedded capabilities it had more capabilities than anyone thought. And actually, OpenAI had no idea what they had. They, they, it went live, and I think within like 48 hours, it had more than a million users, or it was less than a week, right? And here we are, what, two or three weeks on, and it, I went to a Christmas party a week ago, and everyone wanted to talk to me about ChatGPT, because they're like, oh, Dave knows AI, like, let's talk to him. And, um, you know, so yeah, when, when you go to a Christmas party with, with, uh, people of all ages and they all know chat GPT, you know, that like we have hit a turning point and, um, and yeah, so like, uh, you know, I, I, I have my foot in my mouth when I was initially salty about chat GPT. Cause I was like, man, I could do better. Um, and I'm not going to say whether or not I could, cause I don't know what's going on under the hood, but it's, it's good. Um, it's better than anyone realizes. And here's the thing. It is such a powerful tool. It takes a while to learn how to use it. That's, a, that's how you, that's how you know you're onto something. It's like, oh, well, it, 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 it's, it's, it's value is really high, but it's not immediately obvious. But people think like the internet figured it out real quick. And the number of use cases is just pro proliferating. And this is just version one. Where is chat GPT going to be next year? This time next year? Like, I don't know. People, we're, you don't even know what this, this one technology is going to do to the entire economy of the entire world. You integrate this with, you know, like if it's got the scratch pad, you integrate this with science, with medicine, with law, you integrate this with gaming, you integrate this with everything. And suddenly like the entire economy looks different because of this one technology. I cannot stress enough that this is like, we just hit the knee of the curve heading to the singularity because I code five times faster using chat GPT version one. How much faster is everyone going to get 
with ChatGPT as they learn how to use it. ChatGPT2, once it gets plugged into every API and everything else in the world, like one person is going to be as productive as a hundred people. And that's difficult to, that's difficult to, to mentalize. But think about the fact that today people are about 10,000 times more productive on average than people were a century ago. We're about to see that in the next like five years. Like you, you don't even understand what's happening. <laughs> it's insane. So that's, that's, that's why I put chat GPT as number one, because it took me a minute to understand the implications. But as soon as I did, I was like, whoa, okay. This is, this is the real deal. And, um, there was the, the Reuters article going around where, um, one of the things was, uh, I guess Sam, Sam Altman was, was quoted as having said that he expects open AI's revenue to be $1 billion by 2024. I believe it. Um, but another thing is, I think it was the president of Microsoft, Bob something. I could be misremembering, but he said, um, he said things are going to happen in 2023 that people didn't expect until 2033. I believe it, right? This stuff is happening so much faster and it's only picking up steam. So that's, that's why this one is on here. What do you, what do you think about chat GPT? You've been at the forefront of all this. Yeah, I agree with everything that, that you're saying. I was surprised like opening. I had some, some juice left. The year was basically over, right? <laughs> like and they already did Dolly. They did whisper. They did like, you know, instruct GPT. Chat GPT is, is definitely the, the next step after instruct GPT. I think, you know, uh, you and I were chatting about it uh, on our last podcast when Instruct GPT came out, and it seemed, you know, very good. You, you had mentioned fine tuning as well, and its relationship to that. And um, yeah, it seems like the next evolution. Uh, it is. I think most people will never hear about GPT three. I think they will only know or hear about Chat GPT. They will be using it. Um, you know, it's a. Uh, you know, every student is now using it and stuff, right? Uh, for school as, you know, uh, learning resource and stuff. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely everywhere and where it goes from here. So, like I mentioned, I, I think this is huge speculation. It may have scratch pad capabilities. I think, uh, it may be able to browse the web once they allow it to browse the web. So that would be a whole new paradigm and stuff. Um, the next big question, like all open AI products, it's around pricing. Uh, that mm -hmm. will be a big thing. We'll see how it affects usage, right? Um, and I think it will continue to get safer. I think they're plugging a lot of the these issues very quickly. They're being quite nimble. I think they have some apparatus set up where they were ready for it. And it was this was part of the reason this also went so big so fast is this was uh, open public release, right? Uh, which OpenAI has I don't think ever done before, right? Um, and so, yeah, it, it goes to show like, you know, you have the right safety setup, you can, and you have the right technology scale set up. You can just, you know, uh, finally put it out there public and everyone can just use it. Um, and it can, you know, this is a, this is a quite the success story here, right. Of after many years of, of withholding launches for safety reasons, because they felt it was the right thing to do. And I, I think they, they made the right call. Right. And so. Yeah, ChatGPT is incredible technology in the hands of many people. And one one small thing I would just make clear. So I think a lot of the reason why ChatGPT does well for coding, besides its training and its understanding of code and language, um, you can also come back and tell it you got this error and it will rewrite it. And so because you can have this feedback loop between you and it rather than just a prompt, um, you can really, really... 
uh, benefit and interact with a way that you can't even with Codex or perhaps uh, GitHub Copilot, right? Um, oh, yeah. And compared to any other tool. So yeah, everyone and their brother, everyone and their sister using ChatGPT. I find I used it before bed. <laughs> Do you find that? Is that just me? <laughs> Uh, I, my, most of my coding in the or first thing in the morning. So, uh, you okay. know, I, I cranked out a video this morning and now I'm talking to you, but, uh, what do you use it for before bed? What's the, what's the use case there? Yeah. It, for me, like whatever's top of mind, like it's mm. like, I might be researching this thing. I'm thinking to build something with this tech. I, you know, have some situation in my life. It's like, you know, when you're just sort of reflecting a bit on your day before you go to bed. That's typically when I pull up ChatGPT, and obviously it's it's a basically a mobile app, right? Like it's mm-hmm. it's a mobile first kind of design, um, and you can just uh, obviously chat with it and tell it, "I'm thinking about this. What do you think?" Right? And I, everyone has done this with GPT three for for years now, but it's just a nicer interface. And I believe they're rolling out threading and save conversations. Thank God, like it's that is desperately needed. I wonder what else is in this that they haven't told us about that they just have to click to enable, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, like I mentioned in my last podcast, I think it's often like an encyclopedia, like with its nice formatting and stuff. Like I think it's like an instant encyclopedia. You could just ask it a question and give you a very good answer that's well formatted and it's clear and concise and stuff. Um, yep. And so, yeah, it's uh, definitely huge, huge, huge news. And I, I guess next year, the only thing will be like, as perhaps so people start open sourcing, not just language models, but uh, new reinforcement learning with human feedback technologies. Um, you know what? Uh, what's what's going to happen, right? Like, are we going to have different open source ChatGPT alternatives? And obviously, ChatGPT has a huge data set at this point, right? Both, uh, especially around safety and you know, like ideal customer interactions. And so, will open source catch up? All of this is is yet to be seen. So, uh, anyways, anything else to add for ChatGPT? Yeah, man. I mean, it, it's it's exciting, but uh, but yeah, no, I'm 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 jazzed about it. I'm I'm all in. For us, it's just so like, yep, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> you know, and like, uh, I, yeah, it's just the 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 community is much bigger now, right? Like, it's at such a scale. Like, I wonder what it's like opening working at OpenAI. Like, how much you know? If you thought there was a lot of chatter with GPT-3 that you can't keep up with the news, this is like a thousand times bigger, maybe more, Mm -hmm. right? So, uh, yeah, definitely a lot of uh, exciting new faces. Welcome to everyone. Um, Yep. So, by the way, I think I said it was top 10. (laughs) Act is like (laughs) seven. My bad. That's my mistake. Uh, But we do have some additional uh, mentions here. And so... uh, Hopefully that will make up for the false promise on my end. Um, (laughs) And that was basically the top seven, you know, significant events this year. I, I think it was a very awesome list. Thank you again, David, for compiling all that. Um, OpenAI Whisper. Uh, what, what, what did you think? So I'll, I'll go first this time. I I felt this was like a very professional, uh, standard OpenAI open source launch. You know, it's they did the research, published the findings, they dropped the code, they dropped the model, and it was safe, right? And they put a lot of work into it. And overnight, like all these companies started using it. Uh, there was that brief week, basically last month where everybody was like seeing its transcription results. Uh, and they're, they were very good. Um, and now the, the interesting thing about OpenAI Whisper is, you know, word on the street is that this model will help OpenAI get more tokens. Uh, because one of the things is, uh, 
the scaling laws, especially the, the, the chinchilla paper, which was talking about scaling laws from, uh, I think it was DeepMind or Google. Um, mm -hmm. Basically, they found that as you scale it up, you basically need double the data. That's basically the proportion you need for everything else, like parameters and, and training time. And so word on the street is OpenAI Whisper can help produce enough text-based tokens mm. uh, that could then imagine you have the text-based tokens and you might have a video, you might have a song, right? And then basically OpenAI could train something like GPT-4, GPT-5, whatever, on the available amount of data that they need uh, to, to get to scale it up to that next height. Um, and so anyways, that's sort of like, so there's the public reception of OpenAI Whisper, and then there's sort of behind the scenes industry kind of stuff, like why Whisper might be important and significant. Uh, what did you think about Whisper, David? Yeah, I mean, um, ASR, automated speech recognition is nothing new, but, um, but certainly they took it to the next level. And I think that, I think that it's going to be remembered as like, yes, ASR is a solved problem because it understands speech better than humans, right? There are some pretty hilarious clips of it, um, accurately, uh, transcribing people with like really thick accent or slang or whatever that it's like, I don't know what that person said. So it's better than like 97% of human listeners. Um, and then to your point, it's fully automatic. It's tireless, right? And so there were, um, my fiance told me about how when it came out, she, so she was a, briefly a freelance tech writer. Um, and she was doing research and there was all kinds of people, um, like trend, uh, transcription specialists, uh, subtitling specialists that were like, we're going to lose our job because this thing is better than us. Um, and it, and it can also do multi languages. So, oh yeah, whisper is, is game changing. Um, it's probably, and yes, to your point, there's, um, there's something like 80 years worth of YouTube videos out there alone. Um, so you transcribe 82 years worth of, of, of dialogue of text, uh, or in, of dialogue into text. And then you have basically an unlimited amount of data. Um, and that's just YouTube. That's not podcasts. There's probably even more podcasts out there. Um, and so, uh, yeah, like you're going to have so much data. I also suspect that they, they started branching into that because they want to integrate uh, more multimodal streams, right? Uh, they've got Dolly, which is text to image. And, and I think you can reverse that. I don't remember what it's called, but like where you feed an image in and it describes it. Um, uh, image to text. Yeah. Clip, clip interrogator. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I suspect that they're going to figure out how to reverse that with whisper and also have speech synthesis, right? You describe what you want something said and how to say it, and it can do that. Um, and so I, I see it as building blocks working up to full audio, full text, full video, everything. Cause you know, what is a video, but just sequence of images. So if you master audio, video, and text, that is, 99% of all entertainment of all multimedia. Um, and, and then of course there's, there's the scientific implications, right? Because, uh, you know, you say, oh, well, well, GPT-3 just does language. It's like, well, but we do everything in language. We do all science, all commerce, everything, um, with, with natural language, at least as a primary component. It's not the entire thing, obviously for scientific experiments, you still need hardware, but still it's like, this is a big component and it's, it's showing that open AI is starting to branch out um, in, into, into other spaces in a big way. Um, so I think that, I think that, uh, it's a new data stream. It's a new source of data, but I think it's going to have really big ramifications in the long run. Good question. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the benefits besides the fact you might need more data to scale, um, 
the benefits like in, within video there's a lot of uh probably uh implicit knowledge about physics reality uh as well as human behavior and psychology right that you know like if it's just reading the text like which is how gpt3 and the text-based models are trained um you know it may not see the human winking <laughs> right and like you know in the video you clearly see the wink and now maybe right. the model will learn like you know what a wink is and it's sort of it's so the there's what's hum, there's what humans say and what humans do right so imagine the model is also you know trained on both right and can see the differences between the two between the two um so yeah definitely for multimodal stuff definitely for for scale to get to these bigger models uh yeah it seemed like a clever business move by OpenAI, right like because obviously YouTube transcriptions are pretty bad. And so imagine they were automatically good and like, you know, 99, 97, 99% accurate or something crazy. That's a much better data set to train on uh, than just the old school stuff. And yeah, just from video alone, it, it probably has so much implicit data, so much. And even podcasts, I agree. That's, you know, there's a lot of, you know, very insightful podcasts out there. And so uh, tons of valuable text data from there too. Uh, and so, yeah, very exciting. OpenAI Whistler, to me, just a classic OpenAI open source launch. Like it's, it's done professionally, it's done well, safe, um, and people were quite happy. And this is right after uh, Stable Diffusion too, right? So I think uh, I think, I think it was also kind of a move by OpenAI to show they still have Steam and they still care about open source and all these other things. So that was good to see. Uh, Instruct GPT, <laughs> we've, uh, you know, we, we were talking about it, you know, this year. Um, and definitely I was very publicly excited about it. I felt this is the right direction. Uh, and I spent most of February, March basically hyping it up. <laughs> and like, <laughs> we talked about it too. Now, uh, just a, just a brief tangent. So one thing that I found very, very shocking was that, uh, we found out, uh, basically, a week or two ago, uh, when chat GPT dropped and, uh, GPT 3.5 that the whole time we thought we were using instruct GPT, but re it was instruct GPT da Vinci. That's what we thought we were using, but it was actually codex. <laughs> do you want to, hmm. do you want to talk about that? Did you, did you hear about that, David or no? I didn't, I actually didn't, I didn't know that. Tell me, yeah. tell me more. That's, that's incredible. OpenAI disclosed that it was actually the Codex model that people were talking to. And I, I don't know, I guess it was Codex and then it had like reinforcement learning human feedback on top of it. So it's better suited mm. for text and that kind of stuff. But I was just shocked because it was basically secretly the coding model all along. Like it was almost like Scooby-Doo where like they like removed the, <laughs> like the bag over the person's <laughs> head and it's Codex. And like, I was just like so shocked. Like, I mean, it kind of makes sense though, because like Codex is very, you know, a curt. It's very concise. It doesn't, you know, mess about. It doesn't joke around. Uh, and maybe there's something to code that makes people just so serious <laughs> and like not. And, and maybe that's also why a lot of people just preferred regular classic Da Vinci without any of the instruct stuff. Right. Uh, but it was a huge twist. And I spent like a day or two just like thinking about it, freaked out. Like I couldn't believe it. Right. Um, it is kind of misleading if I'm being honest, right? And, uh, yeah, there was also just like, you know, a, a fair amount of brouhaha, like with the opening eye and the research community, because they, you know, a lot of people were publishing research and basically, um, 
they they thought they were talking they they thought they were comparing their research model against instruct gpt davinci which used reinforcement learning i believe the ppo the policy prox policy prox proximization optimization i'm sorry i'm really butchered this but it's something like that like it's it's ppo stands for something i don't remember off the top of my head uh, but like um the point is that you know there's a lot of brouhaha with you know one of the things of OpenAI being a company now is you know uh, they probably do have a lot of trade secrets. They have a lot of, you know, things they're doing. Like, you know, why is ChatGPT so great? What are the methodologies that went in it besides InstructGPT, right? There may be other things there, other optimizations that went in that we don't know. And sure. yeah, a lot of people were, you know, there's a little brouhaha with InstructGPT and that stuff. Uh, but anyways, that's it for that. I, I'm really excited. You know, like the WebGPT research doesn't get as much hype as also that it, it should. So uh, did, did you want to tell them about WebGPT, David? Um, so actually, I'll, I'll let you take that one because, um, you know, I, I, I kind of stayed kind of tangential to some of the stuff I've been focused okay, on. No problem. Other so take it. Yeah, go what, for it. WebGPT was basically, uh, it was like a, a, a model which could search the web and then summarize these findings basically from a Bing search. And then it would even do citations as well. And OpenAI published the WebGPT sort of concept, maybe the research paper. Um, and to me, it seems obvious they'll likely integrate it with ChatGPT, right? Um, and so ChatGPT will look stuff up on the web and summarize stuff. Uh, and so I feel like WebGPT doesn't get that much attention either, but probably we're going to see it again. Um, and one other direction I, I forgot to mention with ChatGPT as well is imagine if ChatGPT was hooked up to different APIs. Imagine that, right? So you could, you know, book a, book a meeting. You could tell it to book me a meeting, you know, check my calendar. What do I have to do today? Send this email out. If you're connected to Stripe, you could be like, how much money did my company make the last two weeks, right? Um, and so all these APIs, you could tell it to turn the lights on in your room, right? Uh, that So ChatGPT supporting like hundreds to thousands of APIs, also a huge game changer. Uh, even if it becomes like an encyclopedia or like a better search engine, I think OpenAI will continue to call it an assistant. But uh, it's still like the potential there with APIs and the WebGPT technology are like super, super crazy. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I, I, so did you have anything to add with Instruct or you want to move on to the next one? You know, I did remember one thing, and that was that someone in, in the Discord community was like, they. I remember when they said like, oh, yeah, Codex is actually, I, I prefer Codex over, over you know, DaVinci. And, and I just kind of like filed that away like, oh, that's fascinating. I, I was, I had no problem with it. But it turns out there's a reason and, and someone was paying attention to that. So, uh, so yeah, that. <laughs> it's it's funny, but and and you're right because with with Codex, it's very much imperative based. It's I'm going to tell you to do this one thing, and wh what I will point out is that for Codex to work, you had to already also have Instruct. So they're kind of like built from the same cloth, just a different shape, right? So you know it's like it's like a it's like a build hierarchy, right? If you ever play a strategy game or a skill based game, you know, so it's one one led to the other. But yeah, I can imagine that people would have been pretty frustrated if if they made assumptions about how the model was trained, but that was not true. And and again, that goes back to the the difference between closed source versus open source. Is once you release an instruct model or a, a open source codex model, you can say this is how we trained it. Mm -hmm. Or at open source chat GPT, you can say this is how it was trained. Mm -hmm. Again, you know the 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 
uh, past performances, you know, the, the open source community is usually about one to two years behind OpenAI. So it's only a matter of time before we, the rest of us figure this out. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's just, it's just shocking. Cause like, like there's just the space, everything happens. So there's so much going on. And it happens so fast. We yep. don't even get time to react to it. Right. Like I felt that struct GPT was huge news at the time. I think I was the only one, like at least like with a with a platform like really like whoa this is like game changing right and then likewise like this finding out that it struck gpt you thought you're using davinci was actually codex this is like a this is like scandalous news right like this is like crazy plot twist reveal it's a plot reveal right um and you know i took a day or two to just be like whoa you know and so everything is just happening like you don't get time to react you don't get time to react to web gpt you don't get time to react to like uh, it's everything being secretly codex, like it is, it's unbelievable. Right. Um, anyway, so speaking of people's reactions and scandalous news and all these things, um, I'm not hearing a lot about GPT 3.5. Um, it seems to me that everyone is using chat GPT, I think probably millions plus users. Right. And so within that noise, a lot of, you don't hear about chat about, about GPT 3.5. Now, with that said, I think if you're building an app and oh, you have a startup, uh, you're very focused on GPT 3.5, right? There, there is no chat GPT API and not all, all GPT 3 web apps uh, are chat interfaces, right? And so um, what, what do you think about GPT 3.5, David? Yeah, so uh, 3.5 is, uh, is, is, as far as I know, it's... Um, it's a fine tuning improvement. So along the lines of codex, you know, the reinforcement learning. Um, but then as you mentioned earlier, there's the, the, the rumor mill says it's got a token window of up to 8,000. Um, and, you know, w one thing that, how do I say this? Well, it's one thing that's weird to me and there could be technical reasons. It might not be a business decision. But I posted on the OpenAI community a, a week or two ago about how I wanted fine tuning to be cheaper because I use fine tuning extensively, but even after months, months after they dropped the price of all the other models um, to, you know, they dropped it by two thirds, fine tuning is still the same price. And I'm wondering why that is. Um, and I'm wondering if it has anything, like maybe they're just focused, like all hands on deck with GPT 3.5. One thing that's interesting is Everyone was predicting GPT-4 by around this time, but we got 3.5. So I wonder if that means that we're kind of getting to a point of diminishing returns, or as you pointed out earlier, we need more data, right? More data, more compute, more training time. And so it could be that we're, we're getting to a place of, of, of compaction or compression where it's going to be much harder to get to GPT-4 than they thought, because why, why have an intermediary step, you know? And then, and you know, it, it might be that rather than having a cadence of a new new generation of models every two years, we'll have a new generation every three or four years, and that that could continue. And you'd expect that, right? There's going to be diminishing returns. So I think that I think that that's what what GPT 3.5 means in the grand scheme of things. You know, looking over the next few years. Now, I could be wrong. It could be that like it's a prototype and they're just piloting some of the new technologies for GPT-4. Maybe GPT-3.5 has some of the algorithmic improvements. They're just tweaking it. Again, all speculation on my point. Um, but then in terms of performance, when I moved to Text DaVinci 03, which I believe that's 3.5, right? That model, yeah. So when I moved to that, it broke a lot of my prompts. And the reason that it broke some of my prompts 
was because even with text DaVinci 02, I still learned that there's a few like little gimmicks that you have to do. You have to like kind of say things backwards or, or use implications. But when I moved to 03, you could just tell it directly what you want. Do this, pretend this, this is why, this is the desired outcome. And it usually gets it. Um, so the move to 3.5, it, it's basically, it, it follows imperatives much better. You don't have to, you don't have to like old, old paradigms around prompt engineering are drastically different. You just say, do this. Um, and you can give it, you can still do few shot. If it doesn't understand what you want the first time you use one or two examples and, and that works brilliantly most of the time. There's a few things that, that I've done that I still think that, uh, we'll need fine tuning on. Um, and, uh, but that being said, who knows? It's entirely possible that, um, that we won't, uh, cause there, there is even with, so here's one thing, even with the, um, the, the changes, the differences, um, there is still the art of prompt engineering, but every time they make a change, the, the paradigms around that prompt engineering changes. And like you said, we don't even have time to react. Um, so I quickly learned to update my prompts for, for the latest edition. Um, and who knows, maybe, maybe they'll standardize on it because if everyone, you know, open AI, if everyone is using reinforcement learning with human feedback, you'd think that there's ultimately going to be convergence, right? And maybe a public data set. But again, one thing that someone pointed out, I think this was on Financial Times or maybe Reuters. But anyways, with all the customers that OpenAI has, they're getting more data than anyone else on the planet. So they have this huge data moat. So it's going to be really, it's going to be a tough nut to crack. And that's why I mentioned uh, NVIDIA at the very beginning of this episode was because if anyone has any hope of catching up, it's NVIDIA. Because once they start serving serving the same markets, um, they, they'll have, they'll have a huge amount of data influx as well. And with their hardware, it's entirely possible they'll be able to start inferencing on video, audio, and, and other multimodal sources before OpenAI, because they've got more hardware than OpenAI could ever dream to have. Um, so anyways, I went down a few tangents, but that's, that's, uh, what I think of when I think about like, okay, what does 3.5 mean and where is it going? Yeah. And, and it could be like you mentioned, the the user feedback they're getting is going to just make GPT-4 that much better, that much greater, that much more powerful. Um, yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's definitely, yeah, everything is moving so fast. <laughs> like, I, yeah, I, I, again, like, I, I don't hear that much about 3.5, but it's, yeah, it's definitely, definitely significant. And I believe, I believe chat GPT is, is obviously based off of it in some way. So, we're, we are interacting with 3.5 for sure. Right. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we, we, you know, we also have math GPT three. I think we got like two updates. I think it set some records this year. Uh, that was significant. Uh, obviously, uh, imagine, you know, these models probably and like early next year start, you know, coming up with math theorems, you know, or physics theorems that help us understand the underlying uh, physical reality that we're in, you know, and obviously advances in physics uh, lead to advances in technology and science, right? Like uh, if it wasn't for Einstein, we wouldn't have GPS, right? We wouldn't have uh, a lot of these classic kinds of things that, that we do now. So uh, this is an area that, uh, you know, doesn't get that much hype, but uh, you know, it's significant and everything is moving so quick that it's like, yeah, cool. <laughs> Even though it's so crazy, and 
like world changing most of the public has no idea you know you, we have models that are doing perhaps high school level math you know <laughs> yeah just like yeah <laughs> i think most most of the public still thinks this stuff is a gimmick or very uh cute and then when they use it now they're just like oh my god right and of course most of their comparison is something like siri you know so yeah. like they're really in for a surprise, right? Uh, yeah, I don't know if you had anything to add about Math GPT three. Now that OpenAI doesn't release it, they don't publish it, right? So we haven't right. used it. We can't. <laughs> you know, after looking at Chat GPT, which was just trained with the you know the reinforcement learning with human feedback, um, and they, it, it it seems like they're kind of pouring everything into one model. Right. And I, I did say earlier, like, I don't think we're going to have one model to rule them all, at least not to do all tasks. However, I think that with scaling laws, the more, uh, the more tasks or skills or, you know, domains that you stuff into one model, the better it gets. So the reason that we haven't heard much about math GTP, math GPT could be because they, they realize, Hey, let's just throw this into chat GPT. Let's just throw this into 3.5. Let's just throw this into four. Um, so rather than have separate models specialized for different things, it might be, let's build the perfect engine to run all of our platforms and all of our products. Um, who knows? Uh, but, you know, just the, the comments on the value of math. So uh, one of my friends, I actually have several friends that are physicists. One of them says that math is the language of the universe, that, that math is that math is how the universe works. Um, and then the opposite school of thought, which this is where where I come in, is that math is our language to describe the universe, that math is only an approximation to how the universe works. Um, and language models or transformers are great approximation engines. So who knows, you might be right. Like once we plug in, you know, it, maybe maybe not the current version, but GPT-4 or similar models, once we plug those into the LHC and CERN, maybe they'll, maybe they'll help us figure out fusion, right? And I, I, I haven't heard, gotten any confirmation of this, um, but I think that the recent fusion breakthrough um, at the National Ignition uh, Facility, um, I think that they actually used some AI to help them design that process. Now, did AI read all the math? Did AI propose the math? Probably not. Um, but is that thing possible? Hypothetically, I think so. Um, I actually, uh, in, in my fiction, one of the things that I, that I thought about when I heard some of this news is, what if fusion is so complicated that you need a super powerful AI running your fusion reactor? And that's why we haven't figured it out yet, because you have all these constant changing dynamics and energy fields. Maybe AI, something like math AI, is going to be required to have fusion reactors. That, that'd be cool. Um, who knows? <laughs> that's, yeah. that's my thought. DeepMind had uh, DeepMind had worked actually on a on a model that helps keep nuclear not nuclear sorry fusion reactor stable or something they had worked yeah. on it this year uh, it was yep. pretty crazy. Um, how, this is something that and kind of related to the last sort of honorable mention like uh, I've wondered how come OpenAI so there's fine tuning right so in my view fine tuning is is pretty good. I don't think it's ready for the average everyday person. I think the process is still fairly technical. I, the average person can do it. It might be a week or two. It'll take you to learn the required background stuff. But uh, it's 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 fascinating. Like there's uh, there is no uh, reinforcement learning with human feedback. Uh, it, there's no way you can do that within the OpenAI product ecosystem. And I I think a lot of 
companies may want to have like a reinforcement learning with human feedback process that they can also do uh, built into the OpenAI platform. And I find it interesting that they, they don't currently offer that, something like that, right? Like either as an endpoint or a UI, you know, make it easy. Somebody can bring on 20, 30, 100 contractors, get feedback data, find great examples, and sort of retrain the reward model that reinforcement learning human feedback needs, and then obviously deploy that, right? Um, but uh, I think uh, I think a lot of the gains we've seen have been more from re reinforcement learning with human feedback than we've seen with fine tuning. Like in terms of perceptual, when you use a, use the model and it gives you results, uh, I think more of that has come from reinforcement learning with human feedback than fine tuning. But I don't know. Maybe OpenAI does a lot of fine tuning too behind the scenes on their own models, right? Maybe it's not just reinforcement learning with human feedback. But anyways, next year we'll see some more open source models. There's open source tools that help you now uh, create your own reinforcement learning human with feedback. It might be a good competitive thing for OpenAI to offer as well. But maybe it's it's policy-wise hard for them, right? Uh, yep. Anyways, so... Uh, we don't need to spend too much time on DeepMind Gato. Uh, it was an interesting research paper, new sort of task-based uh, multimodal paradigm um, that I think we'll see again next year. Uh, they, they're definitely not done with Gato. So uh, very exciting work from DeepMind. Yep. Okay, so uh, David was kind enough. He not only put together that top seven and all of that stuff, uh, David has also prepared uh, a, a brief uh, couple slides for us on startup advice for for GPT three large language model multimodal startups. So thank you again, David. Let's uh, take it away. Yeah, man. Um, so obviously, with the explosion of interest in AI, there's all kinds of startups, right? Um, left, right, and center, there are many, many startups focusing on generative AI, whether it's large language models or images now. There's a lot of FOMO, fear of missing out. And um, so this is this is kind of a, many people on my, uh, my followers know that I am working kind of behind the scenes on a stealth startup. Um, so what I wanted to do was, was just kind of share some of the stuff that I've learned over the last few months as a, as, as a co-founder of a stealth startup in AI, in the AI space. Um, yeah, so what happens next? How do you build one? We'll cover some of those things. Um, but yeah, any, any, uh, initial questions from, from your side about, you know, what I'm up to or anything? I'm definitely very excited. I think everyone is curious and interested in this topic. And of course, we're seeing GP 3.5. We're seeing Chat GPT. The space has more funding than ever. So I just think for all the listeners, this is a very relevant, <laughs> important set of slides. So yeah, please. Oh yeah. Please, please take away. All right. Um, yeah. Uh, did you move to the next slide? It might have frozen on my screen again. Oh, there we go. Perfect. Um, okay. So fourth industrial revolution. Um, this is this is kind of the name for what's going on right now economically. Um, another term for it is the singularity, right? We're head, we're accelerating towards the singularity. But the fourth industrial revolution is about AI specifically entering into the marketplace. Um, and so we've got uh, generative AI is already disrupting all kinds of stuff. Uh, so, for instance, one of the one of the products going uh, going live, I think it just got FDA approval, is a tool that um, that looks at X-rays and other radiography. Uh, my fiance's dad is a uh, is a, a ER physician, and he said, "Oh yeah, this is great because um, you know it, it it scans all the all the simple stuff, and it will 
flag the things that it doesn't understand. And that saves the, the professionals time because it's like, okay, yeah, you just kind of rubber stamp the ones that are obvious. And then you have the specialists look at the hard cases. So that's one example. Then we talked about how chat GPT uh, passed the bar exam. So it's like, okay, we're breaking into not just art, but also medicine, law. Um, Galactica was a, was an attempt to get into science. Um, and then of course I use chat GPT for coding. So we have this one technology that is disrupting everything, right? It's as disruptive as the internet, if not more, right? Because before the internet, there was, you know, you had phones, you had, you had fax machines, everything was slow. Everything happened at a snail's pace compared to how fast it happens today. I can go on Amazon, find one product that I need out of 50 billion products and get it by tomorrow morning at four in the morning because <laughs> they have the overnight now. Um, it's, it's insane what the internet has allowed us to do. Imagine that, but times 10 or times a hundred. And as we talked about earlier, you know, people are 10,000 times more productive than they were a hundred years ago. We're about to hit that again in the next 10 years. So, you know, one thing that one chart that I saw said that like, you know, AI is going to generate $10 trillion worth of value over the next 10 years or something like that. Something ridiculous, right? Five times bigger than the internet. Um, but I'm, 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 I'm starting to believe it. And, uh, you know, so we have, we have a few really wealthy people on the planet, but I, I, I didn't come up with this, but I'm, I'm parroting it from what someone else said is the first trillionaire is going to be an AI founder, right? That's, that's who the first trillionaire on the planet is going to be. Um, and, uh, so with, with the, with the rate of acceleration, the things that are going to become possible are just your, your, your imagination is not good enough. That's a quote from, uh, the, the interview I did with the folks over at Tao. Like once this stuff picks up, your imagination is not good enough to predict what's going to happen next. So yeah, that's, that's where we're at with the fourth industrial revolution. There's a lot of money on the table. There's a lot of work to do. So if you want to do, if you want to get into a startup, here's some lessons that I learned to get started. Uh, if you want to advance the slide. So there's five real rules that I have like advice that I'd give to anyone. Um, so if you want to build a startup, absolute number one rule is you need the right people. Absolute. Like if you don't have the right team, don't even bother. Right. And so like, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll get into, we'll, we'll, we'll dive a little bit deeper into each of these points in just a minute. So first you need the right team. Second experiment constantly. I even did this with my YouTube channel. If you go back to my oldest videos, they had a different format, different subject matter, but I kept experimenting with my, with my YouTube format until I found what worked. Right. And then I started doing that with all of the AI products that I'm working on, experimenting with pro, uh, approaches. So keep experimenting all day, every day. If something's not working, try something else. If, if, if something's not working, don't hesitate to throw something away. I actually, uh, a few weeks ago, I had my last, uh, like paid consultation and a guy was showing me a marketing, uh, chat bot and, and uh, I won't go into details, but he was, you know, he showed me all the work that he had done and it was quite a bit of work. And, uh, so he got through his spiel and he's like, so what do you think? And I was like, throw everything away that you just did. I was like, this is old school. You're not doing, you're not using the right approach. Throw it away. Start from scratch. He's like, all right. <laughs> if David Shapiro says throw it away and start from scratch, that's what I'll do. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so don't, don't hesitate to throw something away. Do not get stuck in, um, in a, a, a sunk cost fallacy, right? Well, I've invested months in this. Okay. Don't invest. Don't waste another four months on it. <laughs> throw it away. Start over. Uh, number three, network. 
network like crazy. I mean, that's why I started my YouTube channel was to get my name out there, um, to meet people. And I started a discord community. Um, and you know, I've got all kinds of people. I talk to people like so often. Um, and, and the weird thing is this is the biggest. So I'm like, you probably wouldn't guess this from, uh, from my, my internet personality, but I'm like really shy. I'm like a hobbit. Like I don't, <laughs> I, I go out to like, you know, social events like once or twice a week, but otherwise like I'm a hermit. Um, but it, even if you're shy, like just ask people if they want to talk. So people will connect with me on, on Twitter, on YouTube, on LinkedIn. And I'm like, Hey, you know, I, I look at what they're up to and I say, like, you look pretty cool. Do you want to talk about this? And like half the time they're like, sure. Like people just love talking about what they're interested in and what they're doing. And that you get so much serendipity just by asking people, do you want to talk? Do you want to have a 20 minute conversation and just figure out what we're working on? Cause you don't know what you don't know. Right. And networking is the way that you discover the things that you don't know. So number four is product market fit. Product market fit is your new God. Um, it's too much to unpack in one video. So I'm not even going to try. There's a lot of wine combinator videos out there. There's a lot of books on product market fit, but if you do not understand product market fit, do not start a startup. Like you're just wasting time. Um, you're not going to figure it out on accident. You're not going to figure it out through chaos. Um, you might figure it out through experimentation, but it's still better to have a target. And last is learn as fast as you can. Um, watch videos, read books, talk to people, Network, learn all of the above. So let's dig a little bit more into um, into these, and I'll I'll uh, have you ask kind of move into a conversational model. All right. So founder, your founder team is everything. Um, well, I guess first, like what to to make to to help the audience, like what does that mean to you? Like, ask me some questions. Tell me, like, what what do you think of when you think of a founder team? Like, who who would you look for? Yeah, like, and I would, I would definitely say it's, it's also changed, right? Like last decade, I would say coder, designer, business CEO, you know, sure. coder, hustler, designer, uh, probably maybe they met in college. They used to be coworkers, like some history, you know what I mean? That they're, they're loyal to each other and get along well. Right. Um, but in the GPT three world and, uh, AI world, like, uh, maybe a little bit different. Like maybe you want somebody focused on prompts and improving the business prompts. You want somebody uh, focused on the technology and the app, right? You might want somebody focused on business and safety. What, what do you think? Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's phenomenal. And you're absolutely right. Like the, the cross section of skills you need has changed a bit. So, as much as some things change, some things don't. Um, you do still need people with business sense, people who's it's not their first rodeo. So this is a big thing. Look for people who have done it before, um, who are ready to do it again. Um, look for people that have failed. Some of the best people that I talk to, they have a long string of failures and they're like, well, I've learned, you know, I've, I've learned what not to do. Um, and, and then, but what's most important, um, beyond and above those skills, cause those, everything that you said, absolutely mandatory boilerplate start there. But beyond that, there's a few personality traits to look for. So one, you need someone who's a little bit crazy. Um, if you want to do a startup in AI, you got to be a little bit just kind of out there. Um, if you're too like old school or too um, risk averse, you're going to get left behind. Um, so that, that's all there is to it. Like don't, don't 
don't start a company with someone who's going to get stuck in paralysis, analysis paralysis, right? You got to be willing to just get out there and try and keep moving. Um, and I, so this, some of this advice comes from the fact that I told more than a dozen startups no because they tried to recruit me. And I'm like, I would either work with the team for a little bit and then I'd realize that they just, it wasn't, it wasn't, it either wasn't the right team for me or they didn't have what it took. Um, so some of the personality traits to look for, you want people that are incredibly curious, people that are, are constantly thinking about things outside of their lane. Um, curiosity, number one thing, um, that boldness, that courageousness, a little bit crazy, that's number two. Um, some things to avoid. Uh, like I said, anyone who's going to get stuck in analysis paralysis, avoid. Um, you cannot stop. You can't get stuck in that. There was one team that I was that I was talking to that I said, okay, like you know, we got to get spun up. We got to we got to do agile. We got to do that. And they're like, well, no, we're gonna we're gonna slow roll this and we're gonna do something maybe next year. And I was like, guys, right? Like, why why did why did you contact me if you didn't want to go fast and you didn't want to understand the tech stack and agile? Like. Okay, fine. I, I just walked away. Um, you're going to have people that uh, listen. Uh, the number one reason that I've walked away from potential startups is they wouldn't listen to me. Like there was one guy that came from heavy equipment and didn't know the first thing about education or software. And he wanted to do an AI startup in education with software. And I was like, okay, well, I'm your AI guy. I'm your software guy. Uh, like, And he's like, well, we'll figure that out later. And I said, Bye. <laughs> like, no, you figure that out now. Like, if you're not listening, no, you gotta you gotta walk away from from founders that don't listen to each other. And in fact, uh, the team that I've got, um, we all believe in consensus, right? There's not one person that's in charge of everything. Like, every time we have a meeting, we make sure that everyone gets heard, everyone speaks their mind, everyone asks questions. There was another group that I was with where the guy who had kind of like appointed himself CEO said, it's my vision. And I was like, okay, but you're not the only smart person in the room, buddy. And he's like, but it's my vision. I'm in control here. And I said, I'm not going to work this way. So I walked away from that one real fast too. So those are some of the things about the, the personality traits that to look for and avoid in a founding team. Um, and, and again, this is absolute bedrock of anything that you do. Got to have the right founders. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, next one. Next slide. Yep. Yeah. And so once you got the right team, uh, number two is experiment constantly. You always need to be testing ideas, always need to be, you know, kind of going out there and kind of like what we said with uh, OpenAI earlier. Um, you know, they tried Whisper, they tried Instruct, they tried Codex, they tried ChatGPT. ChatGPT was just an experiment, right? They, they're like, oh, hey, let's let's see where this goes. Dolly, too. That was an experiment. Um, and you're not going to know what works until you try something. And if something isn't working, like, you know, one of the things that, that, that a lot of books and, and mentors that I've talked to say is like, cut bait, man. If something's not working, just let it go. Try something else. Um, take your lessons learned and move on. And like I said, even for myself, I kind of did that. I, I had some of that already because of my, my career, my IT career, um, where it's just like, hey, you know, if I'm trying to solve a problem and something's not working, I got to try something else, right? If the server won't boot up and I tried X, Y, and Z, try the next batch of, of things. So I did that with my YouTube channel and now it's taken off. 
Um, I'm, and I'm doing that with, with products and, and, and the startup as well is you just keep experimenting until you hit that sweet spot until something really catches and you say, I've got something super valuable here. Now it's not just a matter of experimenting with products. You also have to experiment with, um, with your team. You have to look at yourselves, right? And so for instance, we would, uh, in, in my startup, uh, we would experiment with meeting formats, right? Say, hey, let's try a new meeting format. Did we get what we needed out of it? Yes or no? What do we need to change? Um, we also experiment with communication methods, right? Like we ended up on Slack. Um, you know, it's, it's always everything that you do. It's like, you know, like uh, feeling around in the dark uh, because this is a brand new space. There are no conventions. You know, like you said at the beginning, um, you know, there's, there's, there's the previous generation of startups, but there's some things that have changed. And so we're kind of reinventing the wheel in some respects, not all, but in some. And so experimentation is absolutely critical. What's your, uh, what do you think about that? How, how have you seen experimentation in, in either your own career or, uh, out in the field? Um, I, I would say like in, in the, again, in the large language model, multimodal space, uh, experimentation happens in the prompt. Uh, it happens uh, there. It happens also when the new releases come out and when the new products come out. You want to try it. You want to see what it's capable of, how it's different. You want to just get your hands dirty right away. Um, and so that's what experimentation looks like. And through the process of experimentation with your prompt or the new products, you may discover a use case that is valuable. And with that use case, maybe build a business around it. So um, that's, I agree with you. Experimentation is, is a part of the process that is, it's integral to the process. Absolutely. Yep. Perfect. Perfect. Next. So <clears throat> I already mentioned networking is a hundred percent critical. Um, you know, the, the old adage, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Um, it, it's both, right? You got to know something useful. You got to know something special. Um, whether it's a, a, a domain, a subject matter expert, like if you're, if you're an expert in law, that's great. That's what you're bringing to the table. But then it's a matter of who you know. You got to know a good prompt engineer. You got to know a good coder. You got to know venture capitalists. You got to know what, you know, all kinds of people. Um, and so networking is absolutely critical. And it's like, okay, well, where do you start? Do you go to conferences or stuff? I've never been to a conference. I went to one, exactly one startup meetup, um, like two years ago. And nobody knew what AI was. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is the wrong place. <laughs> so all of my networking comes through through YouTube, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Um, so those three tools, that's where everyone is looking at this space. That's where that's where um where at least everyone finds me, right? I put myself out there so people find me. And then you just ask, right? The number there's there's two questions you ask. Hey, someone connects with you. Do you want to talk about this? The other question you ask is, who do you know that can help me? Um, who do you know that is interested in this stuff? And more often than not, people are happy to give a reference. Um, and some of the most fascinating conversations I've had were just people that message me randomly on Twitter or LinkedIn. And, and they're like, hey, you know, um, I have this idea. And before, so I made, I made a, a lot of mistakes in the past where like someone's like, hey, I'll pay you to consult. And I'm like, I don't have time to do that. So I just told them no. But what I should have done is say, let's talk. I can't consult, but let's talk, right? And so if you're if you're getting out into the space and you're getting people like knocking on your door, like talk to everyone who knocks on your door. At least say hi. What are you up to? 
right? That's that's kind of like my default message back on Twitter and LinkedIn now is, you know, hey, Dave, I want, I want to talk to you. It's like, cool, what are you up to? Start there, you never know. Um, and that is the number one way to network is you say hello and you ask if people want to talk. Um, and, and like I said uh, just a moment ago, you don't know what you don't know. And the way that you figure out, the, the way that you find those things, the way that you learn the things that you don't know is through other people, through networking. Because you can't see your blind spots, but other people can. That's that's the most important part. And uh, as a uh, fellow influencer, <laughs> what's been your experience with networking? Because you've had so many great interviews. I, I, I don't know if I'd call myself an influencer, but uh, I... Uh, <laughs> I uh, um, I think uh, I think you know networking is is one thing. I, I I think I'm a big fan of just creating resources. I think uh, helping other people, um, and also maybe having you know key areas where you might have a reputation for that. You know, this is one thing you've built in the past, or one thing that you're an expert on, right? And sort of bringing something to the table. You sort of maybe create something where other people come to you, right? That, you know, you've created sure. resources they found helpful. Um, but, you know, it, it also a lot of this has to come from a really pure place, right? And so, like, I, I personally don't do too much networking. I just try to purely put my ideas out. I try to purely just help people, like, uh, you know, Twitter DMs, comments, whatever. Um, and I'm honestly not expecting anything in return, right? Like, I, I run all this stuff as a volunteer. Like, I don't really... Uh, benefit financially from it like how people might think so uh yeah I, I think you know i think more on the other end of just like creating value I, I think i would think more like that building a reputation um and other there's other things too like maybe go work for another company and like sort of get to know the team there and you know you may make some friends and some partners uh from from doing that um that you wouldn't have just sitting around and if you have the money like i'm also just a big fan of recruitment like hire people pay them right like yep. uh that's a great way to get the team together <laughs> and get to work yep. right and people are happy to line up and if they're being paid they're happy to line up and work for a startup up to a great mission so but that's that's just how i, I would think about it you want to hop to the next slide yeah yeah but just one last thought one one, okay. one reaction what you pointed out about putting value out there that is that was the key thing that I discovered through experimentation in my YouTube channel was the thing that people found most valuable was watching me fiddle and uh coding challenges with Python and GPT-3. And they like at first I thought people just wanted polished products. But then the first time I put a video out that just showed my process, it caught on like wildfire. And then all, most of my code and most of my videos are out there and it's a free resource to help people. And that's why they come to me. Right. That's why people to me so you're absolutely 100 percent right if you want to get that attention and networking whether for whatever reason you want it put yourself out there add value anywhere that you can and that is how that is how you participate in this ecosystem today so that was a fantastic point thank you all right so product market fit i'm not even going to try and encompass this whole thing um because this is like there are people that spend their career specializing in this and still don't get it right. Um, but the concept is just because you have a neat tool or a cool little toy doesn't mean it's going to sell, right? There are so many people that, that stumble across a cool use case and, you know, sure, it looks really neat. It's really impressive, but that doesn't mean that it's going to sell. And there's a few reasons for that. One is nobody's going to pay for it. 
So the number one problem is you make something that is neat, but no one's going to pay for it because it doesn't add enough value. Um, another thing that can happen is um, you build something and you can't get it to the people who need it because they don't believe you. And so you need to create a compelling enough use case, a, a story around it. Um, another thing is profit market fit. I just learned this one from the Y Combinator channel is something might work and it might be valuable, but the margins might be too narrow or negative, right? It might cost, cost you more to run it than you get in return. And so this is something that like OpenAI has done. That's what they did with Dolly, right? Dolly was free at the beginning. ChatGPT is free right now. They're losing money on it. But what are they getting in return? They're getting data, which is incredibly valuable. And they're also figuring out where in the market this product belongs. So product market fit is uh, it, you have to invest in this, read up on it, talk to people about it, watch videos about it. Once you get it, you get it. Um, but unless you understand this concept, uh, like I promise you, your startup will fail unless you invest in learning about product market fit. So let me ask you, uh, what, what does that mean to you when I say product market fit? Um, like how do you, how do you understand that? Yeah. So I, I'm not the startup expert, so I, I don't fully understand it. I, I guess my, my rough approximation of what it is, is you've, you've got the right recipe. Like you both mm -hmm. have made something that you think people want and people actually want it. And like, it's very clear they want it. And there's some magic here. There's some, something that, and, and maybe I, you know, but you know what, maybe GPT-3 is a good example of this, right? Like I'd say right out the gate, 2020, nobody expected GPT-3 and perhaps even OpenAI themselves. And uh, they clearly struck on something, right? And I guess going from GPT-3 to ChatGPT was the product market fit process, right? And maybe ChatGPT is you're looking at product market fit, right? Maybe, right? Um, we'll see. Maybe people will use it, but they won't pay, right? And maybe the service loses awesome. money, right? So yeah. uh, then it's a matter of like, do we got to bring the cost down or do we have to find another alternative, right? So it's yet to be seen. But in terms of demand, it certainly feels like all of these products had some level of product market fit. Yeah. Yeah. No, your intuition is spot on. You're exactly right. And, and I don't know if I believe you. I think you're a startup guy in disguise. Um, no, but no, like, cause they started with something and they knew that there was value there with GPT three. Right. And then they, they figured they, they increased the value with instruct and they increased the value with codex, but they really hit their stride with chat GPT. So it was like iteration four experiment, big experiment. Number four was when they like, Whoa, this, this took off. So one of the rules of thumb that they say to, to know when you've hit product market fit is when you can't keep up with the demand, where people are beating down your door saying, give me this, I need more of it. Um, and so I think if you're probably right that, um, that that what we have seen is they discovered that 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 ecological niche, that 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 um, that sweet spot of supply meets demand. So the number one rule of business is that is that commerce happens when supply meets demand. And so if your supply is, you know, over here and your demand is over here, they're not connected, right? So what you have to do is figure out how those connect, right? So that sometimes that means changing what you're supplying. Sometimes it means, uh, you know, like, like you said, maybe you got to lower the cost before it's cost effective. Um, sometimes it's a matter of positioning. You got to sell it to the right people. Um, so yeah, uh, absolutely spot on intuition. Um, and it's a huge topic and it is absolutely mandatory for any startup 
whether or not you're an AI, but especially an AI, because if your product doesn't hit that fit, they're just going to go down the street because there's 15 other startups competing with you. Yeah, and, I, definitely, uh, I definitely feel like traditional businesses are like very good in this way. Like there's a lot more uncertainty in a startup, but like imagine a restaurant, right? Like it's very much like nobody ate dinner here today, <laughs> right? And yep. like they're not even going to call it product market fit. They're just going to say the business is failing. The business is not working, right? And like they have to adapt. So they might put out uh, coupons. They might, you know, run a Instagram campaign. They might do some publicity stunt, right? They may improve the food. Maybe it's a product issue, right? But sometimes maybe it's the location. So they got to shut down, find a better location, get a new lease and try that. Right. So yep. yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, like in, in startups, like I, I think maybe it's like harder to tell. And I think there's like, you make something and nobody knows or cares or sees it. <laughs> right. And then yeah. you're kind of like, you know, you continue believing, right? And maybe you're right to believe, maybe you're not, right? But the there's not as much intersection with the real world. So I think maybe product market fit is, is good in that regard as it makes you think about the intersection between your concept and reality and trying to get it aligned, right? Trying to find yep. that middle area be between the two. Yep. Yeah. No, and, and uh, a, an example from earlier was meta with uh, the metaverse, right? They don't have product market fit because no one's buying. Right. And uh, and so there's all kinds of potential reasons why. Um, but that's that's a great example of like if you've got deep enough pockets, you can keep experimenting on something that isn't selling. <laughs> maybe maybe Meta will figure it out. Maybe not. Yeah. The metaverse is not aligned with reality. <laughs> By definition. That's quite, that's quite the thought. Right. Pretty. Yep. Very meta of me as a joke. Very exactly. Meta. Anyways. Exactly. Well done. Well done. All right. So ready for the last slide and then we can just kind of break into unstructured. Yeah. So learn as fast as you can. This is, this is the cardinal rule of any startup, but especially AI is, I mean, I talk to five people a week or more, um, across different domains. I talk to industry veterans. I talk to industry insiders. Um, I talk to people as high up in organizations as I can go. Um, I've talked to some of the biggest names and some of the tech giants. I won't, I, I, I won't say who or where. But I've talked to all kinds of people. And um, eventually what happens is you get to this point of convergence where everyone is telling you the same thing over and over again. Once you get to that point, once you understand it and you're talking about these topics as equals with the top players in the industry, that's when the, that, that only then do you know enough. But even then, you only know enough for today because you're going to need to learn new stuff tomorrow. And uh, yeah, like all, since, since getting involved with the stealth startup, there's all kinds of stuff that I never knew I would need to learn, right? I didn't even know what product market fit was a month ago. Well, I'd heard about it, but I didn't really know what it was certainly six months ago. No idea. Um, then, you know, hiring people, uh, searching for people, uh, there's so much to learn. And for me, it's super engaging. I have never felt this engaged in my entire life. Um, so I know that this is where I'm, where I belong. Um, but yeah, you learn as fast as you can. And um, even as fast as I can learn, some days it doesn't feel like it's fast enough. Um, yeah. And so that's that's my five cardinal rules for anyone wanting to get involved in an AI startup. Um, but yeah, so that's that's it. Thanks for the thanks for the the tour de force, the spiel, uh, the epic slide that'll go down in history as the end of 2022 and all AI, the the the, the year that everything changed. So, um, yeah, awesome. just thanks again so much for everything for that first podcast. 
you know, that I can't, I still get people reaching out saying like, Oh, I just discovered you on Bax's podcast. And I'm like, man, still, still doing work. So thanks for that. And, um, and yeah, what, what questions do you have for me? What do you want to know? Pick my brain about anything. Like I got all day. <laughs> okay. No, that's very, very kind of you. You're welcome. I, you know, uh, you're beloved in the community, Dave. Like everybody, you know, everybody loves you on the community forums and, and stuff. And you've been very helpful from the beginning, right? So, you know, a lot of that is, is your own uh, your own doing, right? And rightfully so. So this is the last slide, right? So I can stop the slide share? Yeah. Yeah, we're all okay. done. Awesome. So uh, I would, so in terms of learning, right? So maybe we can chat a little bit more about that. So like, I'm a big fan of learning by doing. Like, I, I think like, um, it's again, that interaction with reality. I think there's lessons there. Like there's, you know, I think the growth happens, not just learning by doing, but by problem solving, right? Because like most things fail, most of your attempts fail, like for anything, whether you're coding or trying to start a startup or whatever. And it just like, I think that's the, I think maybe that's why startups can become so inherently valuable is the pain that goes into them right of this problem solving and and all that stuff so uh can you maybe share with the audience like what what's something you learned by doing that was maybe counterintuitive or very challenging yeah so you're 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 absolutely right like learning by doing is is, so I, i learn a lot by books i learn a lot by talking to people but there are some things that you have to do you have to get your hands dirty and so one example was um, uh, when I first, when I first got access to GPT-3, when it was still, I think it was, I think it had just gone open beta or it was just before it went open beta. And I was like, I just got access to the most powerful AI in the world. Like, what do I do? And I'm like, I was paralyzed. I didn't even look at it for like three days. Cause I was so scared of the thing. <laughs> so I was like, I didn't even put, try any prompts for days. And I was like, you know what? I gotta, I gotta just accept this fear and get my hands dirty and start experimenting. And that's what I did. And, you know, then my, my first book came not long after that. I wrote natural language, cognitive architecture based on what I discovered and I, the experiments that I did. Mm-hmm. And then fine tuning came out and I was like, Oh, this is a cool thing, but it's, it's fine tuning is a hundred times harder than prompt engineering. There's so much more that goes into it. And so again, I was just like, oh, I'm going to have to get my hands dirty and I'm gonna have to like experiment and fail and fail and fail. And, and, you know, but now fine tuning is one of the things that I'm known for. Right. I have dozens of videos on fine tuning experiments and now I'm really good at it. Well, the only way to get good at something is to get your hands dirty. And then I, I had the same. This is a, this is a pattern for me. Something new comes out and I'm like, I have anxiety. I have dread about it. Chat GPT came out and I was like, dang, another new tool to learn. Why? <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't touch it for two weeks. And then I said, you know what? I'm just going to figure this out. And so just being aware of your own emotions and not, ev- not everyone has that emotional reaction. So some people, something new comes, I have a friend of mine. Oh man, something new comes out. He buys it instantly. He, he had Google glass. Does anyone remember that? He spent $1,500 on Google glass because it was a cool new thing. He yeah. bought an Oculus Rift before, like when it, it wouldn't, it didn't even have head tracking when he bought his first Oculus Rift. I'm not like that. I'm like, you wouldn't you wouldn't expect someone with my personality to be like at the cutting edge of AI because like I'm so averse to brand new technologies because it's like uh something else I have to learn. So just be aware of your emotional reaction. If you have that, it's fine. Just be aware of it and then do it anyways <laughs> and get your hands dirty. Yeah, there's there's definitely like your point is quite good. Like in terms of like 
there's definitely anxiety. Like, even if it's not something new, just something you haven't done before, right? Like, I think there's that anxiety. And I think as a product of school, like, school teaches you to overthink. It really teaches you to, like, quite be scared. And school, there's no point in school where you're just like, they're like, you're out in the real world and good luck, right? But that's what the real world is like. Like, and, like, school teaches you a lot of rules. However, like... It's counterintuitive because in the real world, there, are, there aren't there are rules. Obviously, there's laws. I'm not saying break laws, but I'm just saying, you know, a lot of what's great and successful, it breaks some kind of rule, not necessarily a law. And it becomes successful because it broke that rule. And really, by rule, I mean, it's uh, maybe one area where society needs some fresh thinking. Like we just we are looking at something a certain way and then somebody has a fresh take on it and they break maybe like a design rule like you know this our product is yellow you know like you know what i mean like as simple as that every every product before was gray we're yellow we're the fun version of this product we broke that rule and you know it's successful for that reason so um yeah 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 like i i totally understand and that that anxiety is is universal right like everything new that i learn i'm, I'm quite scared so lately i've been studying neuroscience right so uh for me, it's very, very scary and intimidating at times, right? Like uh, the brain is so complicated and complex and there's so much we don't know. There's all these big words, right? And then you also experience something called imposter syndrome. Classic, it's in the startup literature and a lot of the creative disciplines. But my thing is like, I'm not a scientist, right? I didn't study science. My thing is also, you know, I've never even been in a lab, right? And like... It's just all these things, but like, you know, you just, you can't let it, let it bring you down. Right. And I think the big thing is, is like, all these things are a journey. Like, I think it's, you know, you're just starting. This is like day one, even six months later, it's like day one and a half. Right. <laughs> like relatively. And maybe after 10 years, you might get at that level where you're comfortable, you're professional and everybody had to work to get to that point so it's so you kind of can't be too hard on yourself right um but yeah and then of course there's therapy and, and other solutions as well one of the good things about working with a team is that anxiety is distributed <laughs> and also <laughs> it's compartmentalized right yeah. so if aw if the, if the website is down that's compartmentalized to the coders and the devops right it's not but the people designing are not necessarily worried <laughs> the website is down so the anxiety gets like like more concentrated and the rest of the team still holds the whole business together right so anyways oh, yeah yeah, yeah. No, thank you thank you for sharing that what would you say uh this is something that so i've actually never built a startup on top of gpt3 i think there's use cases i was excited about actually no i did try i did try to launch a startup with gpt3 to be honest in that case it didn't go anywhere maybe there's some lessons there but how how would you describe like what's that transition like from GPT three developer you're playing around the playground right uh, coming up with prompts to building a startup around a prompt perhaps right and then on top of that like you know I've been trying I've been meaning and maybe next year um, I want to get somebody from like Copy AI or Jasper who are really using GPT three and language models at scale like a startup mm -hmm. that has millions in revenue. Cause I want to ask them, how is scale different? Uh, so when you're, when you're just a co, when you're just like prompt designer, then you make a little web app on top of your prompt with GPT three. And then on the other hand, like the extreme end of that is you have millions of customers and you're dealing with tons of data. And so like, 
anyways, like how's that how's that transition like from prompt user to prompt designer to business owner? Well, I don't know if my story is uh, is um, emblematic of the journey because for me it was an identity crisis. Um, I started as I just wanted to do research. I just wanted to write my books about cognitive architecture, and I wanted to help ensure that like Skynet doesn't happen, so that it, when we get to autonomous, super powerful AI, it doesn't take over the world. That was my entire goal. And then I wrote a book about that, and I was like, well, now what? <laughs> like, okay. Um, but I, so I kept making YouTube videos because uh, you know I figured the po- the more popular I got, the more popular my book would get, and the the word would get out. And if my ideas were good, then they'd get tested, they'd get adopted. Um, but then this strange thing happened, and that was that people started asking me for help. Um, and I was like, no, I'm a researcher. And <laughs> there was actually a lot of conflict earlier on in my, in my, uh, like discord and, and YouTube career because people would ask for help. And I'm like, go away. I'm a researcher. I want to be like the, you know, the, the science, the mad scientist in his lair. But, but the, the demand was so persistent that I had to like ultimately change my mind. Um, the demand for my attention and expertise was so persistent that I, I like, I, I eventually got the clue, right? I got the hint. It's like, people are like, I'm like, shut up and take my money. Help me build this thing. And I'm like, no, go away. <laughs> I want to do my research. So for me, it was an identity crisis. It was pivoting from, you know, first it was researcher, then it was, you know, community leader. And then it was like, you know, now I'm something else, right? And, and that was the hardest part. And even every time, we have a breakthrough, like in, in the stealth startup or, or something changes or, you know, it, it's still my identity is still forming around this. So for me, that was the biggest change. I don't know if that answers your question, uh, but that was that was uh, I'm still figuring out who I am. Yeah, no, I, I think you're going with the flow. Right. And like to me, that's that's a beautiful thing. Right. You go with the flow whatever is on the other end is is uniquely for you and you're the only one who can get there right um and it's also good like i mean you know you you also have a job so you're doing all this stuff on the side like there's a lot of growth happening here and that's what growth looks like right so (laughs) yeah you should be you should be proud like it's you know that feeling of uncertainty is you know you're you're growing as well um i i think going back to the question like I, i would say like um I, I think there's a whole world of GPT-3 after prop design, right? Like I think prop design, once you have a GPT-3 startup, prop design is a continuous process, right? You need to probably have a human in the loop at some point, uh, probably but whatever OpenAI's policies outline is probably the best practice, right? Um, and you sort of want to build infrastructure and systems that are different, right? That are much more different than you have a prompt and a web app, right? Uh, your incoming users, you want to figure out which prompts and stuff perform the best on top of uh, for which ones you want to A-B test different prompts and get the best output of those prompts, right? Um, safety is a huge consideration, like I mentioned, the human in the loop aspect. And then obviously the big thing is probably cost structure. So you want to find a way that your GPT-3 app with the GPT-3 prompts that it still makes you money and you're not spending so much on the OpenAI API, right? And maybe there's more effective prompts. Maybe you need to negotiate with OpenAI. You need to have that conversation, right? Uh, maybe you need to raise money. Maybe you need to look at alternatives, alternative language models, technologies, see how much you can output, have your own hosted models and stuff like that. So uh, there's all that stuff. And then I imagine there's different competitive dynamics, right? So 
one of the fundamental problems with GPT-3 startups is anybody else could basically using GPT-3 launch a competitor like, overnight, right? Like there's not that much of a moat. And right. so I constantly defer people to my article on how to build a GPT-3 startup monopoly that I wrote in 2020. Uh, but uh, yeah, like I, I think uh, I think a lot of what we're seeing with the GPT-3 startups that are doing well, uh, they've raised a lot of money and they probably spend a lot on ads. And so by simply ads, market share, they kind of become a mammoth and they get like word of mouth, right? Yeah. Uh, another thing is also just design, right? Um, and so anyways, like all together, like uh, that's what I would say. However, somebody who's actually GPT-3 at scale would have much more nuanced, high level. Maybe I'm wrong about a lot of these things, right? Uh, and I'd love to hear the war stories. I'd love to hear that. Like 2020 to now, what was it like? You know, like what was it? And, uh, you know, some of these startups went crazy viral as well, right? So I'd love to oh, yeah. learn and, and, and that stuff. So uh, anyways, yeah. Uh, okay. And so you got the startup. You've you've evolved your identity. And you're just, you're in grind mode, basically. Yeah. I mean, it was learning. It was like drinking from a fire hose. Uh, I finally feel like I'm oriented. Um, and yeah, now it's time to build. It's time to build. Um, but the, the the question is what to build, right? Because, you know, as you said, like you, you come up with a, a use case, a business idea, um, you have some cool prompts. Um, but that's, I mean, that's just the beginning. Figuring out what to build and why that takes so much more research and pounding the pavement than, than certainly I realized it would. And so the, the next step after all that, everything that you said, yes. And, um, is find subject matter experts. Um, because you know, me as a prolific reader, me as a AI guy, me as a coder, as an, you know, it professional, there's only so much that I know about the world. I don't know the ins and outs of, other industries like the medical industry or the, the legal industry or politics or economics and finance. There are so many people out there that know just as much as I know about AI, but they know it about something else. Right. And like, I just, I, I feel like compared to some people, I don't know anything about AI. Right. But compared to the average Joe, like I know more than 95% of people, but then there's the top 5% that know infinitely more than I do. And that level of expertise exists, exists out there in every domain. Right. There's expert firefighters. There are expert cement layers, right? Or bricklayers. Um, they use cement. Anyways, so find the experts and talk to the experts. Um, it, Elon Musk had a, had an interview a couple of years ago where he said, like, like that's one of the things that he does is find, an ex find an expert and spend an hour talking to them. You have no idea how much you can learn about whatever business case or domain or industry you're trying to get into by talking to experts. Um, and the, and it, it, as I mentioned earlier with networking, more often than not, all you have to do is ask, right? You say, hey, like you're an expert in this. Would you, would you, would you tell me how to do this job, right? So that I can, I can help you, right? Help me help you. Um, many people are willing to, um, but yeah, so like that, that, that's another critical component is um, don't do it in a vacuum. You know, like the, 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 I think, I think part of the problem is we still have these legendary stories of Steve, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates building something in a garage, you know, doesn't see the light of day until they go pitch to IBM or whatever. That's not how things are done anymore. That doesn't work. So don't try that. I know that that's the model, but that doesn't work. What you have to do is you have to start talking to people day one. In fact, like 
if you if you don't have an idea about what to do for a startup, but you've got the energy, it's not your idea. Go talk. Go find an expert. Who who do you already know that's an expert in something, and just talk to them about their job, and then you'll find the pain points. And if you learn about AI and you get the right people in the room talking to each other, because this is, this is one thing that I wanted to say earlier about teams, like, cause you, when we're talking about anxiety. So I, I mentioned, I'm a big, I'm a big uh, proponent of consensus. So when I say consensus, I mean, capital C consensus. It is a method of communication. I've got a book. It's called a uh, consensus through conversation. I recommend it to everyone. Um, I've been trained to use consensus. I use it at my day job. I use it in my stealth startup. Um, I, it even works like if you're trying to figure out what restaurant to go to with your friends, right? This is a universal communication skill. And, um, my, my co-founders, they all believed in consensus too, but that was, they believed in, in lower C consensus, just the idea of consensus, not like formalized capital C consensus. And then about a week ago, one of my co-founders texted me. He's like, I really love the consensus model because and you, 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 you nailed it. There's no fear. There's no fear of failure. There's no, sorry, my browser crashed. Okay. No problem. Welcome back. That was fast. <laughs> yeah. No, R- Riverside popped up and it said, your browser is not letting us record. And I'm like, well, that's probably bad. <laughs> so I just did a refresh and it came okay. right back. All so right. apologize. No, no, no problem. You're talking about, uh, uh, consensus like capital C and, and yeah. 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 So I get a text from my co-founder and he's like, I really like consensus because you know, it's collective ownership. It takes the ego out of it and it gives the group a lot more courage to explore, to fail. And like, if something's not working, you just say, Hey guys, I don't think this is working. And everyone's like, yeah, you're right. Let's try something else. Um, and it takes a lot of the fear away. So yeah, that you know, and, and Oh, and the reason that I brought up consensus is because when you have those kinds of conversations, it's a matter of, do you have the right people in the room? This is one of the key rules of consensus is you need to know who's supposed to be at the table because there's, there is such a thing as having too many people at the table. If you have the wrong people at the table, they can't contribute. They're going to slow you down or they're going to derail you or they just don't get it right. They're not adding any value. But the other thing is if you're missing people from the table, there's a signal that you get where you keep talking in circles and you're like, Oh, I don't know. We don't know. The group wisdom is not high enough. So if your group wisdom isn't high enough, you need to find the right person and add them. And those are the subject matter experts. So yeah, that's, those are, those are all the ingredients that go into that, that team dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, chemistry is definitely important. And I, I mean, this is also just an interesting area with GPT three, right? Like you could have GPT three as a coder. I tweeted last year, I think, or maybe early this year that I love GitHub Copilot because it makes me feel like I have a co-founder, right? They're helping me write code. Right. So like, yeah, I mean, you could technically have GPT-3 pretend to be an expert and also query it that way as well and ask it, you know, what do you, you know, what do you do for a living? Like, you know, what are some tools you work with? What do you hate about those tools? Why is your industry important? Why does it work this way? Now, GPT-3 could still make up all that information and elucidate it or give you bland, uh, vague answers. Uh, but, uh, yeah, this is also just an interesting GPT-3 uh, use case, right? Uh, definitely, yep. it's definitely helpful for a lot of these things. And I would just say, like, I find, like, GPT-3 helpful for any adventure. Like, I find, like, uh, you know, like, if if maybe I'm overthinking about something or I'm not sure the, the course of action or the plan or how to think about it, it helps to maybe get a second opinion from ChatGPT or, or something like that. And so... It's quite uh, helpful, even with neuroscience. Like, I'll ask it to re-explain concepts. Like, I'm on the neuroscience journey, 
it will, yeah, it'll like re-explain something that I didn't understand. Or I'll ask follow-up questions like how come no one in neuroscience has tried X, right? Like things mm. that things like that that you know, you you might need to be an insider to learn and I'm asking it and maybe it, it gives me the right answer. And so yeah, definitely GPT-3 would would uh very helpful for in, in this regard. Um all right. And so the startup is stealth. Uh I, I I don't I'm not sure what else you can add uh about that. Uh but um What's just real quick, like what's it like uh, being stealth, like compared to public? There's always, you know, build in public as well, which is another paradigm. Uh, how are you finding being a stealth startup? Yeah, so I I, I started with that idea of build in public, um, but the problem was, and this is not this is this is not a criticism of you know the the folks that that like are my fans and that and that want my help, but it was really distracting. Um, because if I have, if I have people constantly asking for questions, I'm not building. Right. So it's like, oh, I get it. This is why you do stealth mode, clear out all the distractions. That's the big thing. But then in terms of what we're doing, so the, the, the one aspect of what I've done that is public, um, because I talked about it all, all over on YouTube is AutoMuse. So AutoMuse is for, uh, tools for helping, uh, fiction. Um, and it's gone, I've done that experimentation that I talked about. Um, and we're, we're, we're zeroing in on product market fit. Um, I've talked to professional writers, semi-pro writers. I've, I've talked to a professional actor, screenwriters, all kinds of stuff. So I, I've zeroed in on what it is that they actually need that'll add value. Now, that being said, um, another, another component, uh, like I said, is, is experimentation and exploration. So we've got a whole bunch of other products and verticals and, and domains that we're, we're looking at. Um, but yeah, so the biggest difference from of going stealth versus public is, and, and basically we're, we're, we're gearing up to go public, um, is it, it's weird. It's like when you, when you form a new team from nothing, like you said, chemistry, it's, it's everything. And it, it's weird. It's like, it's like forming a new organism, right? Like when you get, when you get four or five people that all believe in this vision, or this, this goal, um, you put your brains together, right? And, and it, not, not physically, but like you develop an idea of like, okay, this is how, this is how this, this person works. This is how this other person works. And then you kind of learn to offload and share. Um, that's, that's the weird thing. But then as we're getting ready to go, you know, not go public in terms of like IPO, but go public in terms of we've got a press release planned, um, that sort of thing. It, it changes again, right? I mentioned the identity crisis earlier and um, it comes in waves. Sometimes it's like, you know, this will never work. You know, I feel like, I feel like, uh, like Luke Skywalker, like this is a bad idea. <laughs> this isn't going to work. Um, and then other days I'm just like, we can't fail. Right. And so like your emotions kind of come and go in waves. Um, and then like every now and then we would stop and we'd have a team meeting and we're like, are we really talking about aiming at being a billion dollar company? Are we really planning on getting from zero to a billion dollars? Um, and then, and then, you know, it's like, there's, there's a little bit of like disbelief or, sur or, or like this, it feels surreal. Um, but then we have a meeting with one of the top companies in the world with, with a major vendor and, and they're, they're eager to hear us out. Right. And they want to know what we're doing and they want to help us. And it's like, well, if they, if they believe in us, then maybe we should believe in us. So that's another thing. And, and so then it's, you know, confidence builds up over time. And that's why it's like, all right, now it's time. Uh, and, and for us, it was just like, you just kind of know once you're ready. 
Um, and maybe, maybe, maybe we're not ready. Maybe we're kidding ourselves. Though. I hear that there's two types of people, the people that think that they're ready and the people that know better. So <laughs> I think that I'm ready and I should know better. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally get that. No, nobody knows. Right. And I think right. like, this is one of the things about the AI world is like, you constantly need to adapt and reinvent yourself. Right. Like it's just how it is. Things move so fast. Um, and, uh, nobody knows, like, you know, maybe, maybe some other paradigm comes that's better than the language model, the transformer based language model. We don't know. Yep. Uh, and then everything needs to be rewritten. Right. Um, earlier this year, you know, I put up my article that suggesting is prompt design over right back then it was, you know, very controversial and all these things, uh, we, we have clearly, we are heading towards that direction. And for all the people that were super into prompts, experts in prompts, maybe writing a book on prompts, I don't know, right. They had to adapt. Now they can still do that. Prompts are still around. And especially for uh, the image models, prompts are, I think more alive than ever, but anyways, like nobody knows, literally yeah. nobody knows. And so I guess you find the whole thing thrilling, right? Like you're having more fun, you're energized. Right. Uh, you got a uh, team, you new friends. Right. So that's obviously yeah. also very exciting. What's it like to be back on YouTube? Did you miss it? Um, yeah. So that, that was part of that identity crisis, man. Like I had to pivot. I had to figure out who am I and what do I want out of life? That mm. was, I mean, that was big. And, and like you just said, every time, you know, change happens faster than, than we can predict. And there's a little crisis, a little panic every time that happens, right? Because it's mm -hmm. like, oh, 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 no, did did this new thing completely derail our entire business model? Because that's entirely possible. We might, you know, it, it, when ChatGPT first came out, I was like, man, this kills everything that we were working on. And it did. Like, it changed some of the stuff that we were focusing on. So, like, here's an example of something that I was working on that I'm not anymore because of ChatGPT. And it was something I was super proud of. So, AutoMuse, right? automatic muse. So one of the products that I was working on was that were the muses, muses that you could talk to and brainstorm ideas and build stories with. And then what happens? Chat GPT comes along and it does it better. And I'm like, Hmm, well, back to the drawing board, you know, like it happens. Um, but all the other lessons that I've learned in the meantime meant that I could pivot and I could kind of recover from that and say, you know what, this isn't the end of the world. There's something else out here of value. I've got the right team. I've got the right skills. And, um, and, you know, it's just get back on the horse. So yeah, no, you're absolutely that's right. That's awesome. And, and so real quick for, you know, anybody out there, maybe in a similar situation you were two months ago, like, um, how do you find yourself? How do you find like, uh, what the next move is or your, your new identity or your, you know, how do you, how do you make sense of that? How do you, how do you figure that out? A few things. So. One for me, I go on really long walks and just think. I walk and I think and I ruminate and reflect and, and, um, I have, I pay attention to my dreams because usually your dreams kind of know stuff that you don't. But looking, great question, by the way, looking back two months ago or six months ago, um, actually uh, almost a year ago when I started my YouTube channel, other people know who you are first. It's this weird thing when you're, when you're, when you're in this chrysalis state, when you're transforming, People were telling me who I was and I didn't believe them. So one of my first like good YouTube videos, someone said, Oh, Hey, like here's this new guy with a hundred, uh, with a hundred subscribers. And like, is he's the next billionaire? And I'm like, no, you're full of it. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm never going to do a tech startup. You're wrong. Um, and then I kept getting messages like that. Right. And then I got comments like that from tech veterans. 
And then I got comments like that from, you know, insiders and it just kept going. So like ultimately, you know, the, the, the people around me were, were like my best, like wayfinder, my best guidance is like, you know, cause someone's like, you know, you're really impressive or, or you're doing great stuff or, you know, whatever. And I'm like, no, 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 you're, you're, you're wrong. Like, I'm just going to be a researcher. I'm just going to write books. And, you know, I had countless con uh, conversations like that with my fiance and she's like, okay. You know, like, cause I wasn't ready to accept it. Right. Getting ready to accept your new truth is that's what takes the emotional work. But it was the weirdest thing is the people around me knew long before I did. And mm -hmm. so then it was just a matter of figuring out how to accept that into your heart, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, it, you know, it's, I definitely think the process mentally is, is challenging, right? Like it's definitely, you got to think through a lot of stuff. It's accepting new realities that you may not be comfortable with, uh, learning new skills, but yeah, like pretty much like, I, I think, uh, I think a Braun mentioned this in the last podcast, like. It used to be reinvent yourself every five years. Now it's more like one or two. Um, I have a <laughs> similar belief now because of the way things are going. Like I'm, instead of making a prediction for the year, I'm now reducing the time scale of my predictions to six months, <laughs> six months yeah. to a year. Uh, right. Cause things are also just moving so fast. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, that, that's, that's beautiful. And, uh, you know, welcome, welcome back. Um, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, YouTube is really interesting. Cause like a lot of people are just not at our scale. Like they don't like, like, and of course we're not like a hundred million subscribers or whatever. Like we're not at that scale either, but like, it's, nope. it's just, uh, it's definitely been interesting for me to have, you know, every time I open Twitter, I have like 20 notifications, right? Like it's not, it's until you've been there, like you, you don't quite know what it's like. Right. And like, to also sometimes like what I personally deal with is that sometimes I feel like I spread myself too thin. Like I wish mm. I could spend more time with everyone. Right. And there was a time when my audience was smaller and I, I kind of look back at it longingly. Like I think that was kind of the sweet spot where like I, yeah. I knew everyone who engages a lot was able to like very personally get to know them and just be friends. Like I enjoy the friendship aspect of it the most actually compared to anything else. And like now it's like, Oh man, like I got, I sometimes I can only respond in like one word like it's you know you're just stretched even though you you mean well and so I I guess the the solution though is to make more content because at least the content scales well right even if you can't scale the interactions and so yeah. I try to I try to I try to get the interactions in so I can understand where are people what questions where they're struggling what would be valuable right and also just just because like I want to I, I'm, I enjoy the friendship aspect and then I try to pack that in, into the content. Like what is, what would be the most valuable, what helps the most people. And, uh, that's sort of how I make sense of it. But even my role, like I'm, I'm thinking neuroscience and obviously like, I don't, I, I'm not in a position to make a neuroscience startup <laughs> at this point in time. And so this is a question I, I struggle with as well. Yeah. Well, so I've been, I've been meaning to ask you, I think last time I, I kind of asked like, what is it that you want to like, like, what, what do you want to achieve? And, you know, same thing you, you mentioned, like, you know, you want to put value out there, you want to help people. So I wanted to, I wanted to pose that question again. Like, what is it, what is it that you want to achieve? Or maybe I'm asking the wrong question. Like, why do you have mm -hmm. a, do you have a, any insight as to like, what's your motivation or anything that you've learned since we talked last? 
Yeah, it's feeling to me like the thing I care about most is getting ideas out there. Like I'm, I think I'm most passionate about that. I think I'm very passionate about uh, making predictions that are right. You know, I think I spend a lot of time thinking that way. Um, and uh, I think, you know, those are the two key valuable things. Because like, there's also just a lot of people now making videos on ChatGPT and all that stuff, right? And like, the one area that I think I do uniquely is is those two things. And so um, that's sort of how I'm looking at it. Um, I, I'm trying to just even stay open-minded. Like the best years are still ahead of us. And so actually maybe an interesting counter argument to the startup angle. Uh, one of the beliefs I've had for a long time is um, with AI, um, it gets a little bit tricky once you're in commercialization and startup mode. And the reason it gets tricky is you now have a financial investment and you have a worldview attached to that startup, basically. And so it gets hard for you to stay objective about what's actually going on. So, mm -hmm. for, for example, like if you put your bet on whatever, some kind of language model technology and you focus your startup on that, you believe in that, you build around it and, you know, you're just focused on that. You're only in that world. You might miss something even greater in the AI world outside of the language model space because you only see the current thing. So all I'm saying is a startup also biases you and it comes with trade-offs, right? And so I think the timing is, is also important, right? So a lot of ideas that you may have tried with GPT-3 to build a startup around in 2020, maybe the right time was now when the technology is more sophisticated and mature and safer and reliable, right? And so the timing of commercialization is also just an interesting topic, I think, in, in the space we're in. Some things may not be possible, and then 4.0, 5.0 comes out, and then they are, right? And so, uh, yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't see anything on the horizon for me that is a good fit. I, I think I'm really picky as well. Um, but I'm getting a lot of fulfillment around just even putting my ideas out. And there's something about like, you know, you put out an idea, people are building it, people, you come up with some word, people are you're using that word. Uh, you know, you add some interesting commentary that maybe helps people on their journey. You know, like I, I enjoyed that aspect actually a lot. Um, and so that's kind of how I'm thinking about it. But I will share one thing I'm, I'm really excited about. So on, on Sunday, I put out this article for a new kind of language model, which I'm calling a matrix model. Um, okay. it's something that I can predict sort of, I sort of feel like it's inevitable probably next year, but, uh, real quick, cause I haven't, I haven't mentioned it to the audience either. Like, uh, if, unless you have read it on my Substack newsletter, but uh matrix model is basically a kind of language model. And the difference is, uh, it specializes in giving advice, uh, giving guidance and especially giving clear instructions, steps one to 10. Uh, and so the, the name sort of comes from the idea, like more like the movie, the matrix, not necessarily like doing matrix multiplication, like an AI model might already do. Um, and so the idea is a language model could perhaps give you guidance, steps, instructions to help you succeed in reality or outside of or like completely break free from reality itself. And so, um, I'm very excited about that. Like, I, I don't think I'm quite in the position to build it uh, in terms of knowledge as well. Like, I, I think it's, you know, uh, it, it would I think it requires a new approach to reinforcement learning with human feedback. Uh, and I sort of outlined roughly what that would look like at the feedback loop. But yeah, I'm definitely, I'm definitely excited about that. And I guess to go back to your original question, like, 
I, I'm excited. I'm in position to put it out there. And, you know, my ideas don't go unnoticed, right? Like there might be a, a few people who at least read them, find them interesting. And, uh, and you know, it sort of adds to the zeitgeist, right? Like I, I think whether it goes anywhere or not, it's, it's just a interesting, interesting thing to, to think about. Yeah. Great answer. I mean, you know, it sounds like, like you said, making predictions, putting ideas out there, that's what's resonating. And it's obviously not just resonating with you, it's resonating with your audience, which keeps growing, right? So like whatever, whatever, whatever the reasons or whatever's connecting there, something is connecting. So yeah. Yeah. That was, that was, go I'm, ahead. Tr I'm trying not to overthink it as well. Like I, I think it's kind of like the big, the big topic next year, like I mentioned, is so much hype, right? Like way more. Um, and yeah. FOMO is a very dangerous thing. And if you don't know, FOMO yeah. is the fear of missing out. So you might feel like, oh my God, I, I should, I should get in on this. Right. Uh, but you know, at the end of the day, you got to find what works for you, what's right for you. And also that, you know, connects with reality. Right. But with that said, it doesn't hurt. Like, I think it's more like you want to have the mentality of, let me try it. Let me see what happens. Right. I'm not going to spend too much time unless I want to. Let's see how it goes, you know, and like just, just sort of reduce the size of your identity i think like keep your identity small and specific yep. and just see it, there's no harm the best part about startups more often than not like like most of the time uh they go nowhere and so to be honest the failure is not that bad either like it just you just stop working on it <laughs> like that's all it is right so like nobody cares the world moves on nobody right. like literally even people you pitch a startup to they might even forget next time they see you that you were working on something <laughs> right like your peers don't even care and if you told them it feel like yeah okay what'd you learn maybe right so yep it's yeah. still it's a cool story but no like what you said earlier really resonated um was that uh being in a startup changes your perspective it changes your reaction to things and you know that, that that's that's incredibly salient because you know my reaction to chat gpt was uh crap, this derails my business model. Whereas if I want, if I was not in a startup, it's like, this is the coolest thing ever. Right. And so now it's like, it, it, it almost like flips around your worldview. Now taking a step back, like I absolutely would rather live in the world of, you know, singularity, post-scarcity, hyperabundance that AI is going to help us build, whether or not I benefit financially from it. Right. But if I have the chance to one, like you said, put ideas out there, add it to the zeitgeist, help it happen. And if I can make a little bit of money in the, in, in the meantime, great. But like, I want to live in that world. Just first, first and foremost, top priority is live in that world where, where there's more peace, more abundance, more kindness, you know, all, all the good stuff today I can do and none of the bad stuff. Right. I, I don't want to live in, in, in a Blade Runner world. I want to live in, in a solar punk world. <laughs> um, and if I can help make that happen, that's still, that has always been my goal. It's just the method that I'm using to get there is a little bit different. And, you know, if I can, if I can add value and, and build a business around that and help us get there faster, great. Um, you know, but like, and like you said, 90, 90% of traditional startups fail. I think we're going to see a failure rate of 99% of AI startups because they're a dime a dozen. Everyone like, you know, you throw a dart at a dartboard and it's just like you land on a, on a great idea, but will they, will they find product market fit? Maybe not. Will they get investment? Maybe not. Who knows? There is, like you said, there's a lot of investment going around, but yeah, so that's, you're, you're absolutely right about like, it changes your perspective. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and like, even even like when instruct gpt came out right like I, I think if you were at a had like a i don't know like some kind of app that 
helps it easy, makes it easier to write prompts, right? <laughs> like you would, you would be like, no, prompt design is, is not over. And like your whole business depends on prompts, right? And it might take you years to realize that maybe, maybe, you know, the prompt design may be on the way out or a lot less. And maybe, maybe pe most people don't want to even write prompts, right? And so, yeah, it's, uh, it can be, it can be quite biasing. It can be quite blinding. It could be quite limiting. Uh, and so maybe it's good to be in a team to, you know, have real contact with reality so that you can realize quickly, make the decision and adapt. Right. And the main thing is like your, your time also matters too. your energy, your, all these things matter as well. Uh, so anyways, uh, was there anything else to add, David, any, any thoughts about any closing thoughts about this year, next year, uh, anything you want to add startup wise? Um, yeah, if I could just do a quick plug. Um, so I did mention that, that I do have, um, you know, stealth startup. Um, so the, there's a, if, if you, if you want to help or, or know more about what, what I'm doing, um, there's a few kinds of people that I want to talk to. Um, so one, uh, if you, if you don't want to talk, if you're shy, I could always use some help on Patreon. I still have a day job. But and, and startups can take a while before they're profitable. So what one of the goals that I have is to get enough Patreon supporters. So one, I can keep producing free content, uh, code and videos. Um, but two, that'll help lengthen my runway so that I can commit more energy to not just making free content, but also commit to the startup. So supporting me on Patreon is one thing you can do. Um, there are other things um, I have. Uh, lots of people always message me on, on Twitter, LinkedIn and YouTube. Um, asking for projects, saying that they've got ideas. Um, if you want to collaborate on project, if there's something that, that I have done that you think could help you, um, uh, message me on LinkedIn. That's the best place to, to reach out. Um, and we can set up a call with the team and explore uh, business domains, see if there's some resonance there in terms of you know use case, see if the margins are good, that sort of thing. Um, and then the last kind of person that I want to talk to now is... Um, investors. Uh, we're ready to scale up and we're ready to go fast. So if you are an investor or you know an investor, um, have them reach out on LinkedIn and we'll we'll have a talk with the team. Um, but yeah, that's 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 it for me. And um, and yeah, just thanks again. Like it's just we're, we're we're on this we're on this journey together, just going like in parallel lines. And I told people like whether or not you realize it yet, this is the most exciting time in human history. We are absolutely like blessed to be living through this because we're going to be here ground zero when humanity changes forever, right? Like it's going to be pre-singularity and post-singularity. And it's going to be like, wow, like, of course, we're the old guys, right? We're going to be the, the, the old fuddy-duddies 50 years from now, like, you know, oh, back in my day before AI could do everything, you know, we'll be shaking our, well, I guess we probably won't have canes due to regenerative medicine, but like, that's where we'll be. And we'll have the stories. We'll be the ones that were there, boots on the ground, making it happen. And that's just like, it, I never thought that things would be this cool. And I feel like I wake up in a sci-fi world every day. So yeah, just thanks for, thanks for helping it be a reality by having me on your show. No, no, it's my pleasure. I agree. Like I, I felt since 2020, like this stuff is like, to me, like the center of the universe, right? Like, and like day by day, it's becoming more and more obvious. Like I think as, as more people talk about it, using it, promoting it, like 
it's hitting more and more of reality. So like, I, yeah, I can't even imagine what it's like working at OpenAI and all these other companies as well, like Midjourney. Um, but anyways, yeah, no. And of course, David's got several books, you know, pick up a copy, uh, subscribe to his YouTube, right? He's got a YouTube channel. He mentioned the Patreon. Uh, you can follow him. He's also been uh, very active on Twitter. I remember you sort of, you didn't get it, I think, for a little bit. <laughs> and then you started to like get it. And then he's tweeting and documenting too, like, oh, now I get Twitter. <laughs> like he's right. just like also like doing that. Uh, he's got a, the Discord server as well that he's, he's on. And, and this, uh, anyways, there's a multitude of ways to get, to get in touch with Dave. He's got so much going on. But, uh, anyways, yeah, no, thank you. Thank you so much, David. Thank you again for preparing all, all these slides and all this stuff. And, uh, you're always so, so insightful. And I, I definitely, uh, I like your optimism for sure. I think, uh, it's, uh, it's very, very exciting and of course infectious. Uh, so, uh, thank you. Thank you again so much, Dave. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, and definitely, definitely, uh, uh, what I say, repeat offender. You'll, you'll be back. You'll be back. We'll find, uh, fan favorite. We'll find something. There's, there's plenty of things where David makes perfect sense. We, we absolutely must hear what he has to say. So, uh, anyways, and then, uh, congratulations on, on all the growth this year, uh, David. This, thank is, you. this is incredible. Um, so. Thank you. Anyways, uh, that's it for today's podcast. And you know where to find me, youtube.com slash future. I've got my Substack newsletter, bakztfuture.substack.com. I'm on Twitter at bakztfuture. And this podcast, Multimodal by Backstreet Future, is available everywhere. Stitcher, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. I use Pocket Casts. You should have no problem finding me on the interwebs. Uh, and uh, I got some uh, closing out content for the end of this year. Uh, it's been an amazing year. I'm uh, definitely looking forward to sharing my predictions. I shared some of those already here with David. Uh, but yeah, lots of, lots of exciting, good stuff in the works. All right. Thank you so much again, David. Thank you, everybody. I'll see you in the next one. Bye. <laughs>